Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus the Furnicus, the only Valentine I want this week, Charette. Hey, we're here. We're doing it. What's up, Doc G? I love mm. you. <laughs> oh, I love you too. That's fantastic. Uh, how was your Valentine's, Mike? Was it was uh, it romantic and lovely? We did. We tried uh, having a little candlelight thing, but our candles were all burnt out. And then, <laughs> but we did have some nice ribeyes, a little bit of wine, and oh. uh, some oh. Ferrero Rochers for mm. dessert. If that's how you say there that. There you go. I think I think yeah. it is. I'm not big on <laughs> I'm I'm not big on you know me. Pronunciation is not my strong <laughs> suit. Uh, Same. But yeah, ribeyes. That's nice. I like ribeyes. Yeah. That's that's usually yeah. my go-to uh, cut. Is, it a is a good cut. Mm, you you can yeah. get more because you know a lot of people go for the fillet, but like the fillet, you know, yeah, it's really good, not enough. But it us- yeah, it usually doesn't last that long. You know, it's very. <laughs> Doc G, very- what did huh? What did you do for Valentine's Day? Sorry, sorry, uh, I was this. Uh, very this may surprise you, Mike, because hmm. I'm such a magnet to the ladies. So true. But uh, I spent Valentine's Day alone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, this may also surprise you, but unlike the six billion people that posted about their Valentines and uh, the the did, I uh, I didn't. And as a result, I didn't spontaneously combust when I didn't have a Valentine's. Nope. It's bananas, but it's true, man. It's true. I was completely fine. Uh, Yeah. I I uh, just out there, you know, Mike. Yeah, well, I would just like to to point out, like, if you just live your life, folks, uh, and you don't have a a, a FOMO, a fear of missing out, you're, you'd be fine. Just yeah. to do whatever you want to do. Don't, that's a fact. don't feel obligated because that's what other people are doing. I mean, Mike had a lovely night, and that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't out there trying to show everybody else that he was having a lovely night. You don't have to do no. that. That's not mm-hmm. it, you know? But, Mike, I, I've i got some bigger fish to fry than, than Valentine's. Say what? <laughs> um, I realized, and, and you may remember this, Mike, but I realized that uh, we have amassed quite the follow-ups here on the Doc G Oh, show. yeah. Yep. You know? We have amassed a lot of follow-ups, and I had not followed followed up. Word. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, in an effort to over er, uh, turn over every stone unturned, <laughs> I'm going to start the show with a previously on the Doc G show. Previously on the Doc G show. Nice. Yes. That's a good place to start. It is. It is. You know, pick up where we left off. And this is yeah, picking exactly. up where we left off for the last three weeks. Jeez. (laughs) I went back. And you know what? I always gain even more of an appreciation for our listeners when I do this because I have to listen to our show. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry, guys. That's what I sound like? Oh, 
I am sorry. That's horrible. I should let Mike talk more. Um, <laughs> That's a fact. Okay, Mike, do you remember three weeks ago we started off with a Martin Luther King quiz? Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 And we had uh, we had a quiz about who was an usher at his funeral, and it was Samuel L. Jackson. So true. Yeah, it was. And we were like, how did Samuel L. Jackson become an usher? Well, here it is. Did a little did a little legwork oh, here. Sweet. So nice. Samuel L. Jackson was a sophomore at Morehouse, and as you may recall, Martin Luther King went to Morehouse. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was at movie night on campus uh, watching Goldfarb Please Come Home when someone announced that Martin Luther King had been shot. That actually doesn't have anything with how he became an usher. It's just in the backstory. So there you go. Um, but <laughs> Word. after that, the next day, a couple of guys from Morehouse came up to uh, Samuel L. Jackson and were like, hey, uh, Bill Cosby... And Robert Culp want people to uh, want Morehouse students to go to Memphis and march with sanitation uh, uh, workers in a sign of unity with Dr. King. Because before he was shot, that's the whole reason he went down to Memphis was to help the sanitation workers who were on strike. Uh, So they were like, all right. And they flew to Memphis with Bill Cosby and Robert Culp, which is a really weird thing. Uh, And then they came back to campus the next day, and the same folks, uh, the folks that were uh, involved in organizing Dr. King's funeral, like, we need some people who really know campus to help out with the funeral because there was a public funeral at Morehouse. Uh, Mm. MLK had three funerals, one in Memphis, one at his church. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One in Memphis, one at his church, which is, uh, if you ever go to Atlanta, still there, uh, the the famous Ebenezer Baptist Church, and uh, a public service at Morehouse. And so the folks putting on the public service were like, we need ushers that know campus, that can sort of get people around and show people where they are. And Samuel L. was one of those people that volunteered. So mm. that's how I cool. became an usher. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that work. That's right. Previously on the Doc G Show. I did it, guys. <laughs> I, I came I back, it. tied that loose end up. Next loose end, Mike, three weeks ago, same show, we were talking about eating Happy Meals, and I brought up the McPizza, if you recall. The McPizza, yes. Yes. Mm. And I told you, I didn't know if they sold it anywhere anymore. Word. Well. Before I get to if they sell it anywhere, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of uh, background on the McPizza, Mike. The McPizza was brainstormed uh, in the 70s by McDonald's after they had introduced the Egg McMuffin. They were mm-hmm. like, you know what? We've conquered breakfast and lunch, <laughs> but not dinner. Word. So apparently there was an idea about their executives that uh, burgers just couldn't be dinner. That was insane. Nope. You had to do something else about dinner which I, f- I really feel like if I was in those executive meetings I'd be like I, I can eat a burger for dinner that'd, that'd be fine. <laughs> I think we can stick with that that's sort of our you know that's bread and butter right there I think we should stick with it or in this case uh, bread and burger you know but mm-hmm. uh, anywho uh, it literally was developed for 10 years Jeez. from the 70s until the end of the 80s they're like we got to think of how this pizza works, you guys. 
And uh, finally, they released it in the late 80s. Uh, and a lot of people made fun of it, actually. Oh. You know, there was a lot, of, a, a lot of fun poking at McDonald's. And uh, slowly throughout the 90s, less and less franchises actually uh, kept it as a product. They were like, nope, get rid of the McPizza. And uh, by the mid-2000s, there were only two places uh, that sold McPizzas. A location in Pomeroy, Ohio, and a place in Spencer, West Virginia. Those were the two places. Sadly, though, just a couple of years, corporate McDonald's forced those franchises to stop selling it, too. Girl, come on! Damn it. But I'm here to tell you, Mike. I'm here to tell you. There is still one McDonald's that sells pizza. That's right. The mega location in where else but Mike Charette's hometown, Orlando. Yes. I was going to guess Orlando. Yeah, yes. I was going to guess. Yep. The world's largest McDonald's located on 6875 Sand Lake Road, Restaurant Row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. The worst There's, place. It the is. Place Such a tourist to trap. Just uh, a yeah, so horrible. Uh, but Epic McD is there. The world's largest entertainment McDonald's and play place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it really. They say that. Wait, what? It's massive. Um, it's massive. Doc G, though, my question is, and you don't have to do a deep dive for this, but is it the OG McPizza from yeah, the 80s? I, that's what I wondered. That's what I wondered. I, uh, it looked like it. So um, Adam the Woo, who is apparently a food reviewer and just a YouTuber, hmm. mm -hmm. he tried it out just six months ago. He was there just six months ago. He tried it. And uh, his his actual quote about the pizza is, it's not that bad. It's much better than I thought. <laughs> that was his actual quote. So, yeah. you know, um, it does look like the actual McPizza, though. Like, when you compare pictures, they look pretty similar. Okay. I mean, you would wonder, though, like, I mean, obviously, if it was like a franchise thing and they had ingredients for it, like, they wouldn't be able to source those ingredients for one place, you know? Yeah, like they wouldn't have it for like. that one. So like I don't know. I feel like they get some kind of maybe it was like a big conglomerate that made it in the first place. So they were they were passing off those products anyways. So they yeah. could just send them to to the the Epic McD in Orlando anyways. <laughs> maybe that's the case. But I don't yeah, know, Mike. I don't know. I don't know. Should, should they, well, I? I was gonna say they have like a restaurant in there. It's like it's like they yeah, have like, like real deal restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They have pasta where, of course, no other McDonald's has pasta <laughs> either. Exactly. So, yeah. It's but weird. I don't know, Mike. Should I drive down to Orlando and no, try it for the show? No, no, no. it's not worth it. No. <laughs> uh, I like that was spoken like a true Orlando. Yeah. No, no. No. Don't nah, do it. Not no. Worth it. No, it really, it, like, everything, like, that's, I mean, uh, there are a lot of things I like about Orlando, but that's the thing I definitely do not, like, just going through all the tourist crap that you're just like, ugh. That's a fact. Oh, Jesus, yeah. they're everywhere, and it's just, everything's overpriced and ridiculous, but. It's so bad. Anyways, Mike, on the next week's show, two weeks ago, hmm. we had Paul Newman as a birthday suit wearer. 
mm-hmm. and uh, you guessed Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and I said, nah, I think he was born in the 40s. Mike, I was way off. Girl, you on. were actually closer than I was. Huh. Clint Eastwood wow. was born in 1930. Wow. He's not, he's get he's about to be 92. Jeez. He's only 5 years younger than Paul Newman. What? Wow. That's wild. What? What an old a-hole. I had no idea. <laughs> no idea. Um okay. Uh 2 weeks ago too we had the story about the Golden Corral brouhaha. Yeah. Uh, we can now confirm, Mike. It was exactly as you thought. Sweet. It was exact. Dylan Becker, one of the employees at the restaurant, filled all the news organizations in. He said there were two parties in line waiting for steaks. Somebody had cut in front, then started being picky and finicky about the steaks and taking too long. Then somebody else spoke up, said something I guess the other party didn't like, and it looks like it turned into an all-out brawl. Woohoo! <laughs> That's it. Steaks were the culprit, Mike. You <laughs> nailed it. You wow, nailed that's it. hilarious. Now, last week's show, I have two follow-ups from last week's show. I told you that I was pretty sure Dwayne Amon had shot himself in the foot to avoid Vietnam. So true. Well, I got the family and the action correct. I was wrong about which brother it was. It was Greg Amon, <laughs> not Dwayne Amon. So... Greg turned 18 years old in 1965. To avoid the war, his older brother told him he should shoot himself in the foot. Jeez. And that way he wouldn't have to go to war. Dwayne set up a foot-shooting party. They got Greg really drunk. Then they painted a target on his foot, and he shot himself in the foot. And, sure enough, did not have to go to Vietnam. So, you know, that's... uh, uh, a little wild, but effective. Definitely effective. Yeah. Uh, lastly, on the show last week, Mike, uh, it was Carol King's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I brought up Perfect Pitch and told you what Perfect Pitch was. I guessed that one in 100,000 people had Perfect pr- uh, Pitch. That was the prevalence rate. I overestimated. Girl, come on. Still pretty high, but it's one in 10,000 mm, have Perfect yeah. Pitch. One in 10,000. So, you know, still very rare, just not uh, nearly one in 100,000. So, Mike, how amped are you right now knowing all those follow-up facts? Hmm, I'm pretty juiced. This is very, very enlightening stuff. I'm very yeah, happy. Super knowledgeable now. Yeah. Now you feel just you're gonna spread the wealth now. Spread <laughs> the wealth of knowledge. Are you ready to yeah. fire the show up? Let's do it. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and lift off. Okay, Mike. Fantastic show. I'm super excited about our guest today. We've got Ben Cody. <laughs> Ben Cody on the show, uh, just a fantastic guitar uh, player. I'm going to ask him about his perfect pitch. We'll see if he has mm. perfect pitch. Um, he's just a great guitarist, just amazing. I'm sure some of the listeners out there have seen his social media videos. He's all over just the YouTubes and the Instagrams, just out there, just so true, just fiddling that fretboard. It's ridiculous. Mm. Uh, he also works at the Berkeley School of Music. So That's a fact. We're going to chat. Can't wait to talk to him. It's going to be fantastic. But first, Mike, where do we got to start? Birthday suit. Happy birthday. 
Boom. Whose birthday uh, it is? Mike. <laughs> I think. I think you can get all three potentially. Oh, okay. I think. It we'll might see. be. I might be overestimating. Uh, worst case scenario, one out of three. Best three out of three. Okay. Uh, okay. First one. Born on February 16, 1990, in Toronto, Canada. It's not Drake. Um, our birthday suit wearer was the only child of an Ethiopian immigrant uh, and was raised by his grandma. Started experimenting with drugs when he was in middle school, but regardless of the drug experimentation, didn't stop him from doing well in school. Nope. He made it to college. However, he dropped out of college in 2009 and decided on fo focusing on making music. Started releasing music uh, anonymously on YouTube, which got the attention of Jeremy Rose, a producer who had an eye an idea for a dark R&B project. Hmm. Our birthday suit wearer and Rose made three songs, What You Need, Loft Music, and The Morning. He released some uh, other music under a couple of other names before deciding on his current stage name to release music under. He released his debut album, mixtape album, in 2011 titled House of Balloons. Hmm. He then released a mixtape Thursday four months later, and then the mixtape Echoes of Silence four months after that. He released his debut album, Kissland, in 2013, which had the singles Belong to the World, Love in the Sky, and Live For. He then released his second album, My Everything. His third album, Beauty Behind the Madness, was where his popularity exploded. The singles The Hills and Can't Feel My Face were extremely popular. Yes! His fourth album, Starboy, featured Daft Punk for the single, uh, and I... I feel it coming and false alarm. He reached even more amazing success with his fourth album, After, album uh, After Hours. His single, Blinding Light, stayed on the Hot 100 charts for 90 weeks, Jeez. making mm. it the uh, number one greatest Hot 100 hit of all time. Wow. His fifth album, Dawn FM, was released one month ago on January 7th, and just recently broke the rec he broke the record for a male solo artist for songs on the Billboard Global 200. He's had 24 consecutive singles that have made the charts. Name that birthday suit wearer. Hmm. Is it The weekend? Correct. The yes. weekend is correct. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. Awesome. Getting worried there. Thirty-two. The thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. Can't feel my face. That 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 really <laughs> that really jumped up right there. That's where he hit that that star level there. That was. That's a fact. I remember when that song came out, just on every station, like every like forty-five minutes, yes! you heard it. It was just all over the place. And then of course, blinding lights. My God, that thing is everywhere. And yeah, pretty much I haven't got tired of that one. Nope. You know, like that's one of those that even though it was on the Hot 100 for 90 weeks, nah, I still hear it. I'll still dance. I'll still start <laughs> grooving. I can't help it. Like that's a fact. it still makes me want to jam. Unlike an Adele song that after 90 weeks of hearing it made me want to slip my wrist. Jeez. That one, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. 90 weeks. Still, you know, like first, first 90 lesson, weeks, like, man. Uh, man. Almost two years. Wow. Two years. Crazy. So true. Crazy. Anyways, happy birthday to the weekend. Mike, you ready to uh, rip some headlines? Yeah, let's, what's going on in this crazy world we live in? 
It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Oh, lots. <laughs> lots. There's uh, there's some nutty things, Mike. Uh, you know, usually I try to av- avoid too serious things, but uh, we got a couple yeah, semi-serious things. Uh, we're starting yeah. with a little bit of a follow-up story here, Mike. I, I didn't do it on oh. purpose, but we still we got a little bit of a follow here. Uh, okay. Hello Magazine released 29 signs that you may have been a victim of needle spiking. Ooh. Yeah. You you remember needle spiking, right? Right? Um, vaguely. Yeah, that, somebody goes to a party, they yep. put a needle in somebody. That's, you you got uh, it. That's a synopsis. They didn't want that needle. No. No, that uh, was an unwanted needle. That <laughs> this is not And there's a drug inside of it. That was not that was not a party drug. That was a yeah. date rape drug. Uh not uh-huh. a good one. Yeah. So and, and right. this is happening mainly in the UK. That's mainly where this so definitely important stuff for our listeners in the UK. Uh and I would say, you know, avoid getting needle spiked. That's a good thing. You know? So true. Uh, so most of the things on the list are pretty understandable. Side effects of being hit with a drug, you know, meant to sedate you. Like on the uh, the signs, like one of the signs, sluggishness. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Drowsiness. That also makes sense. Uh, decreased reaction time. Yep. Yep. Impaired judgment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, the two things that caught me by surprise, though, Mike, uh, two signs, 18 and 19. Uh, 18 was an injection mark. Word. And 19 was bruising at the site of injection. Word. I don't know. If I I was the editor at Hello Magazine, Mike, I might tell the author, maybe we move those up to one and two. (laughs) Maybe maybe those shouldn't be 18 and 19. So true. I feel like if somebody uh, is checking off the tips... And they're going through the first 17, and they're like, yes, speech difficulty. Uh-huh. Confusion, yeah. Uh-huh. Injection mark. Wait a second. <laughs> now that you mention it, that injection mark does seem funny. I don't think I should have one of those if I wasn't injected <laughs> with anything. Hmm. Hmm. Seems a little weird. Yeah. Seems like you might. I don't know. Anyways, Mike, just to keep... It should be the... Yeah. Top symptoms. Maybe yeah. one and two. Maybe one and <laughs> Not two. Symptoms. I don't know. Signs. 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 Uh, Mike, uh, now that we've squared that away, uh, I do have, again, not on purpose, another follow up. This is a really wow. old follow up. This was actually literally on the show right before you started. This was the ah, okay. July 7th show. The July 7th okay. show, we had a story about a new movie coming out that stars Ray Liotta and Carrie Russell based on a New York Times article from 1985 that was about a bear that found 40 containers of cocaine and ate them all. Wait, what? Yeah. Mm. And the the whole New York Times article was a paragraph long, and apparently they were writing a whole movie about it. Um, So... There's actually new, like, you know, the the story has been pieced together. And I found this in another article, Mike. I got the whole story. Hmm. So. Okay. 
Back on September 11, 1985, an old Kentucky man walked outside of his house and found a corpse of a man on his uh, driveway. Hmm. Now, what was very odd about this man was that he was wearing a bulletproof vest, night vision goggles, uh, several pounds of cocaine strapped to him, and a parachute. Hmm. Which, you know, that's a weird morning. When you yeah, yeah, find yeah, that sure. in your driveway. Mm-hmm. Turns out this corpse was Andrew Thornton. Andrew Thornton was a former paratrooper, narcotics officer, and lawyer who decided, you know what, in, uh, instead of uh, lawyering, I'm going to uh, be a drug smuggler. And uh, he was uh, drug smuggling for a company known as The Company. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. And it's a good, mm. good name. Really put a lot of thought into That's it. It's a good name. That's the company. <laughs> Boom. Um, the plan for the particular smuggling job he was on was you would fly the cocaine in from another country, then put the plane on autopilot, shove out the cocaine out of the plane, and then parachute out of the plane with the cocaine, disperse it, and the plane would crash like 100 miles later, and people would think you die in the crash. That's the idea, you know. Okay. Uh, however, apparently on this uh, smuggling job, his parachute didn't open, and he just died. So, mm. it's a downer for Andrew Thornton. So, not a good way to go. Yeah, um, not good. About three months later, though, after discovering uh, Andrew Thornton, they discovered the plane that crashed. Uh, uh, oh, oh, sorry. After they discovered the parachuter and the plane, they discovered a 170-pound black bear surrounded by 40 open bags of the cocaine that was shoved out, uh, and the black bear was dead. Jeez. It was estimated that the bear <laughs> ate r- roughly 70 pounds of cocaine. 70 pounds of cocaine. The medical examiner said, quote, its stomach was literally packed to the brim with cocaine. There isn't a mammal on the planet that could survive that. Uh, Cerebral hemorrhaging, respiratory failure, hypothermia, renal failure, heart failure, stroke, you name it, that bear had it. Um, I'm going to be honest, Mike. That's a game of you name it. That I do not want to have everything on the list that is named. That's <laughs> that's a fact. Not for me, Mike. Um, no. Also, but how I'd, much would you notice under that amount of you know cocaine? Like, yeah, well, how much? Probably not. You 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 went into just a, a psychotic oblivion and then just lost it just done i yeah, you right. wouldn't be there for very long that's for sure which is no. <laughs> which is like uh, what i sort of thought when i saw the medical examiner's quote like do we really need a medical examiner nope i think jeff from across <laughs> the street could have came in on that one and been like yeah i think it was the cocaine that killed this bear <laughs> i think uh, that's what got him uh but anyways mike that clears it up but I still got to say, uh, I don't know how they're going to make a good ending to this movie. Because hmm. it seems like a pretty anticlimactic uh, ending when they're just like, well, the drug smuggler died and the bear died. The end. Like, that doesn't... Sort of wondering <laughs> how Ray Liotta's going to make uh, riding a cocaine bear more interesting. But <laughs> anyways, uh, Mike, you know... Uh, the state Alabama, uh, mm-hmm. those guys, of this. 
Every now and then, Alabama, uh, something they do, they they just they turn and they they turn back and they they do something like Alabama would do, and you're like, come on, guys, <laughs> you know the rest of the country still watching, right? Come on. Uh, the University of Alabama on February 3rd made an announcement that they were going to name a building on campus after author and Lucy Foster. And author and uh, Lucy Foster is the first black student to ever attend Alabama, which is a big milestone. Took a lot mm-hmm. of courage, a lot of willpower, and it's amazing author and Lucy ended up there. Now, if I ended the story right there, you'd be like, well, that's a that's a feel-good story. We can all roll mm-hmm. tide roll and move on. Nice. Yes. But yeah. it's, of course it's not. Nope. It's Alabama. Uh, the Board of Trustees decided to make the name of the building Lucy Graves Hall. The Lucy is obviously for Lucy Altherin. Uh The Graves is for Bib Graves. Hmm. Now, you're probably saying... What did Bib Graves do? Hmm. Well, he's the governor for Alabama. You're probably saying, well, that's pretty good. Well, he was also a Ku Klux Klan member. And ah. basically only got to be governor because he was endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan, of which he was a ah. member of. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Mike, having a building named after the first Amer- African American who went to your school and then... A member of the Ku Klux Klan? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like good. kind of like naming a building after a person who suffered from type 2 diabetes their whole life and then pairing that up with the dude that owned the sugar company. Like, oh, <laughs> looks like this is a good idea, right? These two people go, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, luckily we can say that they... Um, they uh they uh, after basically 10 days of hearing it from the whole public they uh wiped graves name off of there it's just going to be named after lucy so there is that well, that's good yeah yeah by the way mike uh auburn you know uh university down the road there from alabama uh they had mm-hmm. multiple things named after bib graves hmm. and then they, uh, funny, funny enough, said they couldn't change the names for a while. They said they couldn't change the name because of the Alabama Memorial Preservation Act of 2017. Word. That's a act that says uh, that prohibits renaming uh, historic uh, historic buildings. And if a person does rename a historic building, they'll have to pay a $25,000 fine. Hmm. Ugh. A school that has an endowment of $780 million and pays their football coach $5 million a year says they couldn't afford a $25,000 fine. Hmm. A little hard to believe. Hmm. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little hard to believe. Somehow, on, guys. good news, Mike. Luckily, they found the money uh, in December of 2020 and removed his name. Somehow... They scrounged up enough for that huge $25,000 <laughs> hurdle. It was amazing. So both both uh, universities have gotten over Bib Graves. That's good. It's good. That's good. Good for them. That's uh, really good. Mike, uh, let's see here. Uh, last quick story here uh, from the BBC before we go to break. Uh, interesting one. Uh, it's a story that says, Since the pandemic, folks have been trying a new dating technique. 
Since the, mm. the pandemic, they've been trying dry dating. Word. Dry dating. Yeah. Dry dating is where you go stone cold sober through that date. That's right. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. Crazy, right? Crazy. Recent, what? recent surveys showed that 34% of uh, more people now consider dry dating compared to a survey hmm. taken before the pandemic. It's increased 34%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Now, Mike, let me jump in here and say, as a person that has been doing this quote-unquote dry dating for most of my life, these folks are going to be pretty disappointed with the results. That's a fact. I can, <laughs> can tell you that, Mike. Here, here's the problem with dry dating. Um, there is no altered reality in dry dating. That's... Yeah. That's the downer. You, uh, you're yeah. in for reality. That's a fact. And uh, guess what's in reality, folks? Boring, ugly, sad people. Yes! That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's yeah. what's in uh, reality. So anybody that's signing up for dry dating, get ready for some boring, ugly, sad dates and sex. That's what you're in for. <laughs> so just in case, I mean, you know, if you want to change your plans, just saying. Uh, just from a guy that's been there and done it. Just want to let you know. That's uh, just think about it. You know, Mike. Just think mm. about it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Mike, let's take a break. We are going to hear from our guest, Ben Cody. We are going to be right back with none other. Huh? Well, wait. I I skipped a part. I was about to say Ben <laughs> Cody was coming on the show right now. What am I doing with my life, Mike? Oh, I was putting it on <laughs> autopilot before this song. <laughs> Good Lord, I apologize, <laughs> listeners. That's we right. will be right back with me and Mike after this song from Ben Cody. <laughs> See the writing on the wall 
And we are back here on the Doc G Show, Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, say what? Do yourself a service. Go download, subscribe to the podcast, give us a like, give us a comment, give us a, a heart emoji, whatever it is, Ooh. do it. Do yeah. it. Make our day. We will love it. You uh, can, you, you know what? You can have a dry date where you listen to the podcast. <laughs> Ew. And you both can look into each other's eyes during the dry date. Uh, when I say it's going to be horrible, you're ugly and sad, and you'll both be like, we are ugly and sad. But you know what? <laughs> Doc G brought us both together, so like that dude and a show. That's just just mm -hmm. some advice. Anyways, Mike, we need to uh, thank the regulars, so uh, let me run down the old regular list here. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Ashburn, Virginia, Genoa, Italy, Frankfurt, Germany, San Diego, California, Boardman, Oregon, Richardson, Texas, Anoka, Minnesota, Dublin, Ireland, Barcelona, Spain, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Katy, Texas, Oxford, Mississippi, Winfield, West Virginia, Piracai, Brazil, Par Peoria, Illinois, and Moscow, Russia. There we go. Regulars. Regulars. Shout out. Moscow was regular enough. I brought them up in the list. Yeah, uh, they did. They moved sweet. over. Sweet. Brought them up in the list there. Uh, okay. Semi-regulars. Here we go. Shout out to Los Angeles, California, Biloxi, Mississippi, Doha, Qatar, uh, Tom's River, New Jersey, Oakland, California, New Westminster, Canada, Lafayette, Louisiana, Islington, United Kingdom, Denver, Colorado, Seattle, Washington, Charlotte, North Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, and San Francisco, California. Yes. Mm. Shout out. Yes. Got got some got some Bay Area folks because of Sonny Smith on the show, I do believe. Thank nice. you, Bay Area. Nice. Thank you. You know, when we first started the show, Mike, Bay Area, that was a big area for us. That was a lot of oh. regulars in the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm a little cool. sad we missed them. I don't know what I did. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I might I not I might not have been progressive enough. Hmm. Maybe I should have started being a little bit more progressive, you know. I also did make fun of them a lot for having uh, light poles that were falling down because of homeless people's urine on them. So, that <laughs> could have done something, uh, too. Could have been in there. Yeah. I don't know. But regardless, I'm glad to see some Bay Area folks back listening to mm -hmm. the show. That's nice. That is nice. Um, Mike... Let's see. What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear a story uh, about Nantucket, about a commune, or a Florida headline? Nantucket, for sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. Nice. Have you ever been to Nantucket, Mike? No, I don't even know where it is. Just uh, okay. sounds kind of cool, like a like a, just a great place. honesty. The best policy, you know. Like <laughs> if I was I was in a if I was in a, a, a like conversation with somebody at a party and they're like, you know where Nantucket is, and I didn't know. I feel like I would be like, yeah, sure. You know, not 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 really because I wanted to lie and sound cool, but mainly because I didn't want them to go into the explanation that I'd never remember. You know, like, they, oh, you, you know this place? And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess. And they're like, do you know this place? And you're like, yeah, I do, I guess. Anyways, anyways, Nantucket <laughs> is in uh, Massachusetts. Ah, it's okay. actually an island on the little tip of Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So it's, it's out there in the middle of nowhere. You've heard of Martha's Vineyard, right? Yeah. 
By the way, I just like how I went through the exact same <laughs> thing I said I didn't want to do yeah. at a party. Don't ask me any questions about Martha's Vineyard, but yeah, I know about it. <laughs> okay, good, good. Anyways, big news from Nantucket, Mike. It's, it's a place that a lot of people go fishing and uh, to the beach during the summer. Obviously mm-hmm. not now. I looked at the temperature and it's 19 there. So, um, but residents passed a vote allowing anyone to go topless at public beaches at their last town meeting. Sweet. Mm. Yes. Nice. Yes. Now, I will say there's a little bit of a risk, risky biz for Nantucket, you know? It's a little bit risky for a place that rhymes with suck it and f- to decide to go <laughs> topless, Mike. That's it's risky. You're asking for some jokes coming your way that are rhyming jokes, you know? Yes. Yeah. So that's a little, you know, they're they're willing to go for it. Now, I was also really surprised uh, to see the penalty before they passed this last law. The law before uh, they passed this law stated that a woman going topless could face a penalty of up to three years in prison. Wow. Three and years. A fine, yeah, and a fine of up to $300. Huh? What? What? Yeah, yeah. Three hundred, three hundred dollars compared to three years in prison. Oh my I, gosh! I feel horrible. like if I were dealt that sins, Mike, I, 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 I would tell the judge, hey, you know, I'm willing to pay six hundred dollars if that gets me out of the three years of prison. If <laughs> I can nine? just double up on the fine. <laughs> call me crazy. Those two components of the penalty don't seem to hold the same weight, Mike. No, uh, they don't. No, yeah, it's very weird. Sort, but sort of like if your punishment was like you're going to be tortured for a week straight, merciless beatings, and you need to write an apology statement. <laughs> what? Can can I write two apology statements? Hmm. Is that is that possible? Like three years, tad extreme. <laughs> a tad. I mean, if I were looking out the window in my neighborhood and I saw a lady walking down the street topless. My first reaction would not be she needs to be thrown in prison for three years. Like, no. my my first reaction is like I'm probably gonna get in trouble for looking at her. I'd be like, ah, I can't look away. <laughs> I gotta look away. You know. Second would be like, uh, does she know she's out on the street? Does she remember this? <laughs> like, but you know, I mean, it would not be she's three homeless. years. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be three years of jail. That seems. Yeah. A little bit weird for just getting your ladies out on a day, you know? Like taking yeah. them out for a, a, a day in the sunshine. Seems a bit much. Seems, Seems a bit uh, 1930s or something. A little bit, <laughs> yes. Uh, right there with like prohibition, dry dating, <laughs> right. and boobies out for three years. Um, uh. Mike, another story. This is this is interesting. Uh, I have a little update for folks out there who are looking to escape, uh, and this is uh, verbatim from the actual source itself. Uh, folks who are looking to escape the matrix and are conservative free thinkers. Huh? Mm. Yes. Yes. So apparently, back in 2016, Mike, there was a commune. That's right, a commune. Founded in Paraguay called El Paraiso Verde. They were founded by uh, Sylvia and Irwin, 
a composer and a tax advisor from Vienna, Austria. Yes. So the website specifically for El Paraiso Verde said uh, that they started this uh, commune with the dream of a better life and future outside (laughs) of the Matrix Hmm. and is a refuge for conservative free thinkers. Uh, so ever since the pandemic has started, they've been uh, they've been gathering some folks. Apparently, they've been gathering some folks looking to avoid COVID restrictions. Uh, mm. As one of the Germans that now lives in this commune said, he said, "quote Residents want to flee the deep state and the one world order." Um. So, Mike, uh, wow, forgive. Wow, wow. Forgive me, Mike. Forgive me right now, but I'm going to bring logic into this whole conversation. Doc G, uh, how could you? Yeah, I know. It is. It's dumb. It's dumb. But just let, let's think about this. Uh, so these folks concerned about a deep state, mm-hmm. a one world order, a matrix. The matrix. Yes. So you're telling me that you're up, what you're up against is a super powerful, undercover, controlling world order that controls all the world's superpowers in the world. But, apparently, when you move to Paraguay and put up a fence, the world order's matrix is like, dumped. I don't... <laughs> what, do we, what do we do? I don't... How, how could we get to Paraguay? No, we could use a plane. Yeah, that's that's true, but they did put up a fence. Jeez, that's it's pretty impenetrable. Well, fence. They escaped our powerful matrix. <laughs> ah, like you, like I mean, you you chose Paraguay. You chose Paraguay, the country with a GDP of thirty-five billion dollars. Literally, a GDP of one tenth of Elon Musk's total wealth. That country is going to be a safe haven for the unstoppable overlords of the Matrix. <laughs> that you're going to put uh, up a fence around your commune and they're going to be like, oh, I only had some way. Nope. <laughs> no way. No, like, yeah, guys, logic. Just use a little bit. Like, it makes no sense. Yeah, no it make sense, any sense, guys. No None. Sense. Conservative now, want, free thinking? I don't get that. Sorry. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense either. Now, uh, if uh, you know, if you're gonna stay in this logic, guys, may I suggest you get a couple of guard llamas around your commune. <laughs> Just gonna say, I mean, you know, nobody's breaking into that commune then. Yeah. Matrix, matrixes, nah. werewolves, foxes. They're all going to be stopped by those guard llamas, so mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Just think yeah. about it, guys. Um, okay, Mike, I've got one uh, interesting story here. Uh, this is a little bit a uh, serious one as well. Mike, I don't know if you've noticed, it's gotten a little tense uh, in the last couple of months in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. has. That that Putin fella, he's, he's causing some global shenanigans. Mm-hmm. There's a... Uh, Little, little shenanigans. Now, obviously, a lot of Ukraine, uh, they've been worried about this. I would be. 
uh, if I was in Ukraine. Very worried. I'm worried, and I'm not in Ukraine. Um, yeah. But they started doing some civil combat training in Ukraine. So thousands of Ukrainians have been taking part in different types of training. And one person that received a whole bunch of attention for this training was Valentina Konstantinovska. Hmm. Uh, she she has been getting a whole bunch of attention on uh, social media because she's a great-grandmother who's 79. Wow. 79. She told the her. media, I am ready to shoot if something happens. I will defend my home, my city, my children. She then said, I underwent this training, but I probably won't be a very valid soldier hmm. because my body doesn't serve me that much anymore. That's a fact. Now, Mike, uh, a couple things about this. First, I should note that at the beginning of this story, they just casually mention, casually mention that she was be being trained by the Special Forces Unit Azov, hmm. which has been wow. consistently associated with neo-Nazis for the last 10 years. Word. In 2014, wow. a spokesman of the Special Forces Unit said, yeah, 10 to 20% of our group is neo-Nazis. I'm going to say fighting for your homeland, Mike. Cool. So true. Fighting with Nazis for your homeland. Not cool. Nope. No. You know? Not cool. Just, just go ahead. Put that not cool. I don't care if you're 79 or not. Not cool. Um, that's like one of those weird episodes of a superhero cartoon where Spider-Man teams up with the Green Goblin to defeat some joint enemy, and you're like, I don't feel good about this. Yeah, I don't like that. You're not doing the right thing, man. That's not good, yeah. you know? He's still a bad you know? guy, yeah. Lastly, I'm with Valentina. Uh, I don't think she'd be a very valid soldier. Nope. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bring reality into this again, but uh, 79? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm Valentina, here's an idea, Mike. I'm just going to throw this out. I'd say I'm going to head down to Croatia. Hmm? Gonna, okay. I'm going to head down to Croatia and Sakarun Beach. Sweet. I, I took a look. Uh, it's about a 15-hour car ride for uh, for Valentina. Yes! couple of toll roads, couple of job sites <laughs> you got to pass through. Just yeah. hit the old M3 highway through Slovakia to Slovenia, and then you'll be in Croatia sipping pink lemonade Arnold Palmer's in no time. Wait, what? I just came up with that, Mike. Pink lemonade mm. Arnold Palmer's. That's my thing. I just did that. Arnold Palmer's. There's a thing in Croatia. But with pink. Know. Pink lemonade, not regular <laughs> lemonade. lemonade. Oh, okay. It's, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, so it'll turn some kind of weird, like, puke brown. I think there's a name for that. Nah, puke brown, uh, half and half. <laughs> That's what they're called. Anyways, Mike, we are going to take a break, and this time we are going uh, to be back with Ben Cody after the break. It's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Stick around for it, guys, right here on the Doc G Show. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio. WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. Hey, what's up? This Rock Montana. This Mucho Yellow. And it's Rock and Yellow. And you're listening to Doc G Show from 803 to 904, the best show on the radio. You dig? 
Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we are super psyched to have the Sultan of the Six String, the Finger Jockey of the Fretboard, Wizard of the Whammy, and the Tom Brady of the Berkeley Guitar Department. Ben, Cody, Ben, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. That was uh, some great compliments right there. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you know, I I feel like your love of Tom Brady needed to be associated there, and uh, a little, you know, there's there. I think there can be some connections. There might be. <laughs> How's everything up in Boston? Good, good. It's uh, you know, it's it's a little bit warmer out today. You know, we're in the 50s, so it, that that uh, <laughs> that helps. But yeah, no, it, it it's. It's good, you know, same same old, same old as far as... Uh, now, not an exaggeration. I woke up the, this past week. I can't remember what day it was. I think it was Thursday, but I woke up this past week and I was cruising through, just happened to be looking through the, the Apple weather on my phone. And it was 36 here and it was 36 in Boston. And I was just like, it's like the one thing we have in Florida... And it's taken away? Really? Really? Boston is, is the same as us? That's not fair. Nope. But, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, th I think then, like, I, it makes up for the fact that, like, you guys had, what, 30 inches of snow a couple of weeks ago and, like, a blizzard? You know, that's, that's rough. Yeah, we've had a lot of snow so far, so... That's, but that's that's part of it. That's part of it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, uh, now let's 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 hop in the music. And I've seen this. I've seen this multiple times. I think it sort of goes along with your story. You you started out because you found your dad's Van Halen records, and I saw I saw a couple of places. It was twelve, and then I was, it was fourteen. Is it twelve or was it fourteen that you saw those? Uh, I was probably around twelve when I. When I discovered Van Halen, I, I started playing guitar till probably a couple years after that. But um, yeah, it was my my dad had uh, 5150 in 1984, and um, it was funny because for whatever reason I knew who Sammy Hagar was mm. earlier, but I, I didn't really know who Van Halen was. And um, I was listening to the 5150 album, and uh, it was funny because I asked my dad, I'm like, I'm like, what band is this? And my dad's like, oh, this is Van Halen. I said Van Halen sounds a lot like Sammy Hagar. And my dad's like, well, that is. And my dad's like, well, that is Sammy Hagar. He's singing. It, it's kind of ironic now, you know, you know, in hindsight. But back then, I could not wrap my head around. I'm like, well, why is the band not named after the singer? Why is the, the band named after the guitar player? And I'm asking my dad that. My dad's like, well, you know, Eddie Van Halen. He was the greatest guitar player in the world. You know, for you know, for, for this generation. And and uh, so that, that's why I was named after him. And I, I couldn't comprehend why it was named after the guitar player which is you know kind of very, yeah very ironic now considering yes yeah now i i did uh i did the math and i'm guessing like that was what if it was around 12 you were like uh, that was 2008 somewhere around there yeah yeah probably yeah, probably around 2008 yeah so. that's not you know i mean no offense to van halen I'm a huge fan, obviously, but they they weren't the biggest sellers at that time. Like how like was it odd to your friends at the time and stuff when you were like Van Halen, yes, and they were like kinda, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, at that time, the really you know, music that that was being made at the time like that, yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what drew me to it was the fact that you know you, you had these amazing musicians in this band that could really play, and you know I think the the kind of rock that dominated at that time was kind of more like that, you know, punk or, you know, alternative. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from that style. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, a lot of the pop punk pants, oh, pop sure. punk, Blink-182 and, and Lit and things like that. But um, Van Halen also just, they always look 
like they're having fun to me. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, that's always, it just looks so fun. You're like, man, that's just, that's just a good time for everybody. Like, it's just, what, you, you said, you said 5150 in 1984. Do you remember specifically, like, the first song? What Was it like, was it a, you know, was it Panama? What, what was the one that you were just like, you heard and you were like, yes, yes. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, uh, I, I think it was just the, 5150 all the way through. I think my dad oh. has started playing it um, from the beginning. So it would have been you know, good enough. You know, yeah. the first song. Yeah. If, you know, wow. You that's know, Sammy start with that. Hello, baby. And going right into that, you know, that, that guitar, you know, squeal. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's surprising. I mean, it, it's funny. Well, I guess it, I, I think, I think Panama or hot for teacher just draws me in more on, on Van Halen than anything else. Those two are amazing. Uh, now I I heard you know and you said it took it like a couple of years before you started actually playing guitar, but it seems like it didn't take long before you started playing guitar that you were actually playing gigs. Like how long was it in between starting and then actually playing a gig? Probably maybe about a year and a half or so. Because wow. when I started playing, I mean I was probably I think fourteen. I was in eighth grade when I first started taking lessons and wanting mm. to play guitar. And at the time, I kind of was thinking, you know, I'll just learn a few chords and, you know, impress girls and things, you know, like that. And then it kind of had the opposite effect because once I started learning, that's all I, I was just in my room just practicing guitar and yeah. not going out to impress girls at the time. But, um, I mean, I just I just got kind of bitten by the bug, so to speak. And yeah. I was just so obsessive over, you know, just, just, the, just the process of, you know, learning and, and playing. And I just got, I fell in love with, with the instrument. And um, so, I mean, I, I was, how much you know, were you practicing then? Because, like yeah, what, in high school, I was probably practicing guitar. I mean, I, at least five or six hours a day. Yeah. Wow. Through my high school years, I was playing all the time. And, and so, I mean, I was progress, I was progressing a lot faster than a lot of, you know, kids in my class. I mean, not that there was too many people playing instruments back then. Um, and it wasn't because I was necessarily more talented than anyone. I, I just was, you know, just putting it in. I was playing more than, than anyone else was. And so, I mean, I formed my first band. I was probably like 16. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd play wherever would allow us to. And, and I think that the first kind of real gig that I considered, you know, like a professional gig was we got asked to play in front of, there was a, a Big Lots store. Nice. You know, and, and it was in the middle of the summer. And I was probably 15, like just before I turned 16. And uh, we didn't have a singer because the three of us were, none of us wanted to sing. So we just kind of did instrumental versions of songs and I just solo, you know, over them. Yeah. And uh, the manager of the store gave us all, uh, I think it was like, soda. Yes. So we considered that like, well, we, we got something for, for play. So that was kind of like our first, you know, like professional gig. Got paid. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then after that, it, it kind of turned into, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, musicians that can uh, attest to this, that in, in high school, you kind of have couple groups of musicians that end up kind of forming bands and kind of becoming rivals mm -hmm. <laughs> with each other. That's kind of what happened. But um, so it's kind of like different iterations of, you know, kind of combinations of, uh, you know, th those groups. And we kind of finally settled on band kind of by, by the time I was, you know, in my junior year or so. And then from there it was, we were playing wherever would let us play, um, which, you know, here in Massachusetts, you know, it was kind of strict. If, if you're under 21, you aren't really yeah. allowed into a lot of venues. But there was there was a few that would let us play, so we just play wherever we could. And 
there's this one venue up over the border in New Hampshire called the Sad Cafe that was actually meant for underage musicians. It was just, a, it, it was, you know, you, you couldn't play there if you were over 21. It was meant for being minors. And that's a good title for it then, Sad Cafe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was great because we met so many um, musicians in, you know, in the local scene. That yeah. As we all kind of grew older, you know, there's the, the musicians that stick with it and become professionals, and there's the ones that, you know, don't. So it kind of helped, helped me kind of form a lot of network, a lot of networking, a lot of relationships with, you know, what, what became the yeah. scene when, when it came time for me to go to college and go to Berkeley and, and do all, all that. Was was it all when you started? Were, were you like, I mean, did you have your eyes set on playing gigs from the get-go or was it just like this is fun i want to do this or were you did you see the performance side of it the whole time uh when i first started playing it was more just like you know i just loved the music and i loved just you know learning and that, that the whole process of you know trying to be the best i could be as, as a guitar player yeah. but um i had a recital at the music store that i was taking lessons at so i ended up playing ain't talking about love by van halen you know, with, with the recording of, of Van Ham playing along with this, I, I didn't have a band at the time. And, you know, you're, you're sitting in, in, you know, in the music store in front of all the other students and all the other students' parents and your parents. So it was, that, that was probably one of the biggest moments of stage fright I've ever had. So I'm thinking, oh my God, like, I, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I just want to be in my room playing. Yeah. Once I got over that hump and realized, all right, this is actually really cool and really fun. And that's kind of when I'm like, all right, I, I want to start playing live now because it's, it's the, the whole adre adrenaline rush you get from it. So that, that was the first aspect of it. And the second aspect was uh, my dad took me to go see, it was right after I graduated eighth grade, we went to go see, it was Def Leppard, Poison, and Cheap Trick. Mm. Uh, there's a venue right outside of Boston. And as soon as I saw them on stage, I'm like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, and that just kind of snowballed into... Nice. You know, not really wanting to do anything else in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of that, uh, you know, those inspirations, you, you are, you're a, a big, you know, hair metal guy. You like, you like the, you know, I've, I've seen you throwing out Dokken and Def Leppard and Warrant and, and Poison. And I got to say, I, I love that. I love that you aren't afraid to say that those are inspirations because I know a large group of artists that you know, they'll say, "Oh, poison, too cheesy, too you too." Che I don't listen to that. Like, what? First of all, what what do you love about those bands? And then, what, uh, what's your what's your response to people when you hear something like, "Oh, poison's too cheesy." Well, uh, the thing that really drew me to all those bands is kind of what you said at the beginning of this, it, just how fun they are and they have mm. positive vibes. And and you know, for me, I mean, my and and there's people that you know. The great thing about music is everyone is, has their own taste and their own reasons why they love it. But for, for me, it was always music is an escape. You know, it's, music should be something happy that, that cheers you up. And, and you know, as an artist, I, I want to play fun music that, that can do that and just try to be positive, and especially with, you know, everything going on lately, you know, from the pandemic and mm -hmm. just, you know, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that you know, it, it, it can be stressful to people. And, oh, yeah. Like, so I, I just you know, try to focus on, on, you know, being that, that positive uplifting kind of uh, style that mm -hmm. was, was in the eighties because, you know, a lot of it was, you know, they bands like Motley Crue and, and Warrant and all that. It's like, you see the music videos and, and you hear the music and it's like, there really isn't a care in the world other than just playing music and, and 
having a good time and that was something that really you know drew me to it. and also the aspect that in the 80s you know everyone was trying to be a guitar hero and mm -hmm. i think that that competitive edge you know kind of really pushed all the guitar players back then to all be better and it's like there's just really a lot of great uh, guitar riffs and a lot of great solos and and you know that that was another aspect that i, I really loved but yeah, as far as people that you know think it's cheesy or you know that that's that's not my target audience <laughs> I, I really it doesn't affect me that way but you know it's like like i said the great thing about music is that you know people can love what they want to yeah. love what they want to enjoy and you know there's a lot of uh artists out there that i don't you know particularly i, I wouldn't say i don't like them because i think with, with the more success that i've i've you know, been fortunate enough to get, you know, from Instagram and all that. Yeah. You know, being in the position of, you know, people hating you just because they don't like the style <laughs> of music you play, that, that kind of changed my whole view on other artists. But a lot of it is, you know, if I can't emotionally connect with your music, that's fine. You know, then it's yeah. like, I'm not your target audience. And, you know, there's still things that, you know, I can, I'm sure I can draw from your music that, that I still find, you know, intriguing. But it's just, if you don't like it, then... You don't no, like it. Yeah. You're not forcing it to. It's, it's not, I'm not going to be offended. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, uh, uh, two things. I mean, the, the poison, like when, when I think of, of, of poison, uh, nothing but a good time and, uh, and, uh, talk dirty to me. Like that's a perfect continuation of Van Halen's videos of just having fun on stage and just like, it's just it's that to an even bigger degree that you're just like, wow, that looks that looks great. Like that just it's like you said, it's it's nothing but just trying to have fun and and expressing the emotion of fun. And then the other thing, like like you said, like I that I don't mind when a person's like, I don't really like that music. It you know I'm fine with that. I don't like when they're like, oh, it's it's so easy or it's so you know, and I'm like. It, you 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 go right. Uh, every rose has its thorn. You you go you go right. Nothing but a good time. Like you can't write a song that good. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I, I totally get that. I used to be that same way where I, I would get, you know, kind kind of upset when yeah. people say that. But but now it's like the, the especially with like I said. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate to be in a position, especially with Instagram, that kind mm. of you know gave me some some notoriety. But it's like the more I experience that, it's like. It's just the less I care about. It's like if, if someone has that mindset, and it's like then it's like I don't really care about their opinion anyway because you know it's like if, if it's not someone that I would you know take advice from or take a compliment from, yeah, because it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, now you uh, like like we mentioned, uh, you started out playing at like fourteen, and uh, by college years, you're you're at Berkeley. I mean, that's uh, you know, you're talking like less than five years of time. It's an astronomical leap in that amount of time. As far as I mean, do you attribute all of that to to just grinding? I mean, just that practice of like five, six, seven hours a day. Oh yeah. And, and cause I don't think there's any shortcuts. And the biggest thing that I get asked all the time is, you know, can you give me a tip on, on how to get better and how to play faster? It's play. Like, <laughs> practice. Like, like I, I don't know what else you want me to say. It's like, I, I'm not, I don't have a magic wand. I didn't sell my soul to anyone. It, it's just, you know, practicing all the time. And the part of it was, I never really thought of it as practicing. You're just obsessed. Because I enjoy it so much. And, yeah. And there were aspects that, um, you know, I probably should have practiced a little more, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm sure I'll probably get into that later. But um, it was just, you know, my, my biggest thing was 
I just I enjoyed the process of you know being the, as good as I could be on guitar. Yeah. And just trying to, um, you know, just learn as much as I could. And I, I just I enjoyed playing. So it didn't feel like you know me sitting down in my room trying to learn a solo or try to practice you know my my major scales for four hours. It didn't feel like four hours for me. I just, I just felt like I was playing and I, I genuinely enjoyed it. So that that helped a lot. And I, I find that 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 was a blessing to to be able to have that ability to. Oh, for uh, sure. Play. I mean, when I when I was when I was younger, uh, playing drums in in high school, like. I only like to play with songs. And it wasn't really like I was that lazy practicer that didn't even like to play exactly what the drummer was playing. I'd just find whatever tempo it was in and just be like, okay, there we go. We're, we're, I'm, I'm playing along with it. It's close. It's close enough. Like rudiments, horrible at, never practice. Like that getting to that point of actually loving it is i mean i i think fairly unique for a lot it's like it's like you were saying the people that say oh what do i need to do yeah you probably don't i mean you you love it but it, you just don't love every aspect enough to really dive into into practicing that will make you that great absolutely and, and there, there are times especially at berkeley you know when when you get into positions where you have to practice or have to learn something that you don't want to do yeah. then then that then that becomes work but it's kind of what what uh, separates the the pros from the amateurs is being able to just say you know i, I gotta do Suck this it, and, go for it yeah yeah now before you went to berkeley uh cali was calling you went out to uh, musicians institute in la now uh, being a lover of the hair metal bands that we talked about did you like immediately go to the sunset strip and we're like the rainbow Whiskey, Roxy, like, were you going through all those famous places? Pretty much, and I think that was the order that it happened in, too, I think. <laughs> yeah, because, well, I, I uh, my senior year of high school, uh, I only applied to two colleges. A at the time, I just, I didn't want to go to college. I just wanted to, you know, hit the road and be a mm -hmm. rock star and that whole thing. And, you know, my, my parents were incredibly supportive, you know, of, of everything, you know. Yeah. And, and they knew that it was a different world. And, and you know, I was, I was, you know, 17, but I was still kind of, at that point to realize that all right it's not really how it was back even you know 10 years earlier it's yeah like, the world now you can't just go out on the road and hop in the van yeah so i only applied to two college i applied to berkeley and then i applied to musicians institute and earlier i was saying you know i, I probably didn't practice some of the things i should have and one of them was reading music you know mm. notated music because for me i i i took lessons i had a phenomenal teacher brandon durham i'll give him a shout out um, yes. and and uh you know, and, and I just, I didn't put the time into, you know, because I, I just, I was playing along with, you know, my favorite bands and, you know, I was really developing my ear, which I still think is much more important, you know, for, for a musician to have a good ear rather than reading music. But I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me, but that, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other topic. You know, I was playing bands wherever, so I, I was kind of learning kind of the street smarts of, mm -hmm. of music. So when I applied to Berkeley, I, I didn't get in at first. I, I forget the exact, you know, terms that, that I, I got in but it was basically along the lines of you know since you can't read music it was something like you know if, if some of the people we did accept decide not to come then you can have one of their spots so that that kind of you know gave me a little chip on my shoulder i remember the morning that i got that the letter in the mail my, my mom was telling me like you're gonna be like tom brady you know because you know, 199 yep 
And uh, she's like, just be like Tom Brady, you know, focus on it that way. So then uh, spring rolls around, you know, of, of my senior year of high school. And then Berkeley came back saying, you know, we have a spot for you. You know, it's yours if you want it. And at that point, I was, you know, I was a little <laughs> off. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to Musician Institute because yeah. they accept me right away. They, they're the ones that want me. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I deferred my acceptance for a year for Berkeley, if, you know, just in case, you know, I still have an option if I want to come back. And so I went out to L.A., you know, being a fan of, you know, so many bands like Van Halen and Guns N' Roses and all these bands, like you said. Yeah. For me, it really was like, there's the rainbow, there's the Roxy, you know, there's the Guitar Center on Sunset Strip that has Eddie Van Halen's hands on, yeah. on the cement. And uh, it was it was amazing from that aspect. Uh, there were some amazing teachers there, uh, but it just, it didn't seem like the right fit you know, after first semester um and so i decided well i have the option to come back to berkeley so i'm like i i don't want to you know squander that opportunity so i ended up you know kind of coming back home to, to boston and then um at that point you know I, I was kind of felt like i was still i still had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because i felt like yeah. all right they didn't want me the first time which kind of was that tom brady oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, complex there so that that made me work even harder there to, to try to nice. be the best i could be Nice, nice. Uh, I was I was gonna ask because we were actually talking about this uh, last week on the show, me and my my co-host, uh, because we, uh, um, every week we have uh, who uh, celebrate whoever's birthday it is uh, around the world of entertainment. It was uh, Carol King's birthday, and uh, she was uh, uh, in her bio. She found out that she had perfect pitch when she was four years old. Her mom did, at least. And I was wondering, do you have do you have perfect pitch? I don't. No, no. no. I um, I've I've strong relative pitch from practice, yeah. but it's one of those things that either you're born with perfect yeah. pitch or, or not. But but um, the one thing that I don't really talk about too much um is for me since I was a kid, I've always could see music and colors. Mm. Um, which I I don't know if it means I'm you know partially on the spectrum or, or, or whatever because they say that, that is you know, part of it for me and anything in the key of a is always red b is orange c is green d hmm. is blue e is yellow f is purple and g is brown and, and i just thought that was normal and i brought it up kind of nonchalantly one time when i was in high school i think it was my parents yeah and they're like that's not normal <laughs> and um so they did some research and you know it turns out you know there's, there's other guitar players yeah. that, that have that uh, synergy uh, and actually my dad did some research in both Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen. I was about to that. say, I knew I heard Jimmy um, had, had done that. I mean, is it the same colors? I don't know what colors that they see it. Yeah. As. I imagine it's probably different. But um, for me, it was just, you know, whether it's a major chord or a minor chord yeah. or different scales. I mean, it all changes the color. And that's just kind of how I've kept the music organized in my brain. That's just how, how I've always had it. Um, that would but, blow my mind if it was the same colors. Like if it was the same colors that they had as you did, like that, I, then I'd be like, "There's got to be something scientifically in like something harmonic wise, frequency wise, something's got to be going on." But I, I, I don't know because I know um, the story is Jimi Hendrix uh, called the song "Purple Haze" after he played the E7 mm -hmm. sharp nine chord, mm -hmm. uh, which is in the Hendrix score, and he said that it sounded purple to him. Mm. Which for me, it sounds kind of yellow. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So it's probably not even the same. But um, but yeah, that that was that was the kind of the one thing that that I always had was kind of that that weird synergy. Yeah. Of it. So I don't know if, if it means I'm broken or, or what, but, but it, it works for me. So. <laughs> it means you're broken. No, yeah. no. Uh, well, no. I mean, you know, that's what I, I that's what I told my co-host as far as the the perfect pitches. I was like, that's a 
a, a, a superpower that is uh, unleashed when somebody has that. Like I remember one of one of our drummers just in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, when I was growing up in high school. He had a, a, one of uh, like, and it was always amazing because he could tune the timpani drums without you know just tune it and be per. And I was like, how? What? And I'd always like I didn't understand the actual science. You know, or like the actual idea. So I'd go over there and be like, "All right, maybe if I just practice, I'll just." Is that an A? Yeah, I think that's. No, you're not. I'm nowhere close. Okay, okay, all right. It's like <laughs> just yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I had that ability. I mean, I do on guitar. I can tune a guitar pretty darn close just from knowing the tension of the strings. Because oh, okay. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Yeah. It's like all right. Like I'm pretty sure this is a, this is a D sharp right now. So. Is that is that like, what you? Right, like, I was a few cents off, but I, I know it just from the feeling of the tension on the string. Is that sort of what you do? Like, uh, you know, I, I've seen you do instead of the whammy bar, like when you uh, like on eruption instead of using oh, yeah. the whammy bar. Is that how you like sort of know where your notes going as far as the tension? Uh, no, that that's uh, just that's from just relative sound. pitch. Yeah. As soon as I start it, it's like I have to remember, like, all right, that's the that's the E flat. So yeah. So I got to remember that in my head. Remember that when I come back up. Gotcha. Well, now. Uh, obviously we've been talking about it like as far as Berkeley it is you know one of the best if not the best school in the country as far as music uh, a lot of talented people but I definitely won't say it seems like the place where uh, glam rock and you know hair rock and just really you know enthusiasts go going in what was your mindset like what did you expect to see as far as like musicians and then what ended up actually being there? Well, I mean, with the mindset I was going in, I knew it wasn't going to be a, you know, a, a rock environment. I knew, yeah. you know, they're not going to give you a, a rock star certificate, <laughs> you know, at, at the end. I wasn't going there for that reason. I was going there to try to be the best musician I could be, to have a real career in, mu in music. Because, I mean, I, I never wanted, to, I mean, deep down, I mean, deep down, everyone wants to be a rock star. Yeah. Everyone wants to, to have that success. But it's like, I knew that probably wasn't going to happen. And it's like, my goal was, I just want to be able to have a career, make a living in music. And uh, one of my first teachers that I had for um, uh, one of my music theory classes, my first semester there, she, she said, look, she's like, Berkeley, she's like, you don't have to go to Berkeley. She said, if, if you're a musician, you're a professional musician, she's like, you can learn everything that Berkeley is going to teach you just from being in the real world. She's like, it might take you 65 years to learn it rather than four years here. So that, that's why you're here. She's like, but um, it, it's to, to get you ready to to put you ahead of the game mm -hmm. when you come out. Yeah, well, going there, uh, I have to say, not once was I did I ever felt uh, discriminated against, you know, for, for being a rock player yeah. from any of the teachers. You know, because a lot a lot of the teachers there were kind of you know old rockers, you know that that you know were teaching there, and they now you know did jazz and they did other things as well. But I will say, most of the students there. You know, I could felt I, I could feel that you know they kind of felt that you know, I was a little bit beneath them because I, I yeah. wasn't into playing jazz or, or things yeah. like that. But I mean, the school itself, like the teachers and the whole curriculum, not once that I feel like I was you know beneath anybody. Um, but but the other mindset that I had was you know all these students that were playing jazz and and, and not not all of them you know by any means kind of had that vibe. But there was definitely there was definitely some that kind of had that vibe that you know you, you play rock so you're not as good as me. So my mindset was, all right, we'll have fun competing with each other for the jazz gig because I'm the only <laughs> one here. So it's like, you know, for, for rock. But I actually I had one, I, I had a bass player in my first semester there. I was in a, an ensemble and the bass player actually told me, he's like, 
you know, he's like, you're kind of stuck playing high school music. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you play the music that people play when they're in high school, like ACDC and and Motley Crue and, and Guns N' Roses and all that. He's like, you should like get out of that phase. <laughs> and I, I just laughed about it. I'm like, this is nuts. You're like, but nah, uh, I'll stay. I'll stay in that phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just... It was just, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, who, who's the uneducated one at that point? You know, the one that that's, you know, playing, playing, you know, the, the lesser music or the one that, that has that, that mindset of, of that, because it's like, I have a, I have a respect for jazz. I think it, it's, you know, for me, I think it's the ultimate genre, but I mean, I don't have that emotional connection to it to be able to want to play it in a, in a genuine way yeah. where it would be able to think wow he really enjoys that now now uh i th i think they were there uh before you actually but we have we've actually it's weird we've had a pretty good amount of berkeley uh grads from different years we had uh, uh johnny rab from uh collective soul their, their their drummer uh who went to berkeley that was that was a good while ago he's a grad from i think like early 90s or late 80s somewhere around there but we just re uh, more recently we had kobe on the show who was a, a grad i think uh, before you as well and then we had dead poet society which they do rock. They, I mean, you know, their rock is not your rock. It's more of sort of the alternative side, a little, a little darker rock there. But they had, I remember they had the odious title of being the worst band out of Berkeley, is what everybody titled them as while they were there. I don't know if you ever heard that of the Dead Poet Society or if they'd already oh, no. moved on. Yeah, I, I know the name, but I, I really don't know any of their music. Um, yeah. uh, to be honest, I didn't even really know that they went to Berkeley, to, to be honest, till right now. But um, I'll have to, to check them out. Yeah, they. That, That's awesome. That, that, that just kind of shows, I think, the vibe that some of the students have. Like I said, not once did I ever feel that vibe at all from any, and, and even now, I mean, that I'm, you know, I'm so incredibly blessed to be able to, to work for Berkeley yeah. you know, and have that be my quote unquote day job. E even still, it's kind of being that environment there, there's no discrimination against styles oh, okay. whatsoever, but, but, um, yeah. like I said, the student might be. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, spe speaking of that, it, it, it does seem like, I mean, you worked incredibly hard while you were there. You, you experienced success i mean you won the the achievement award two years in a row 16 and 17 and the uh, professional achievement award in 2018 um and then they invited you back to do uh, teaching uh i think was that the first year was 2018 that they invited you back yeah it was yeah i think it was about a month or so after i graduated uh i got, I got they reached out to me asking to i mean teach. you know how how i mean obviously it is a, it's a source of pride how how much of a, a source of pride is it that you sort of, you know, you you did come into a, a place that's a very high esteem of music and and sort of got the biggest accolades while you were there to a degree. I mean, it, it was it was a great feeling. Cause, I mean, my my first semester at Berkeley was was definitely rough. I mean, because I, I mentioned earlier, I was kind of, you know, I still felt like you know I was kind of unwanted mm -hmm. there just just from that whole thing, and uh, you know, going in and not really being able to read music still. Berkeley's like, all right, we're not going to slow down for you, so you better catch up. So that was, and that, and, which was kind of what I needed. So I was working double time, and I, I ended up, I withdrew from from uh, my first um, ear training class, which was required. You know, you had to cite 
not only sight read, he had to sight sing the notes mm. and conduct, and he had to sing in solfege, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of any of that other than, you know, from Sound of Music. Yeah. So I just felt so over my head, and I ended up withdrawing from that class. And I was kind of at that point where I'm thinking, you know, maybe this isn't for me. You know, it's was, was kind of, like, like I said, my, my mom, again, was kind of, you know, like, you know, to have the Tom Brady, uh, you know, uh, aspect with it. So, and I, I ended up, I had to get, I got put in what was called the second semester success program. So anyone that doesn't pass that their first uh, levels of core mm-hmm. music, which was training was considered one first semester, you get put in a special program called second semester success. And I think they said um, like only 10% of students that get put in that even make it to graduate. And at that point, like for me, like the gauntlet has been thrown. It's like, yeah, it's like, I, I'm going to prove everyone wrong now. And I, I just, I worked like nonstop. I got to the point that uh, by the time I was in my junior year at Berkeley, I, I got a job on campus as a core music tutor. So not only, so I went from, you know, being put in the, a yeah. program where they said you might not graduate to now I, I was the tutor helping mm-hmm. students in the program I was put in. And uh, I, I graduated, I was summa cum laude, you know, I had a, a 3.98 GPA. So to, to be able to, to kind of have those two extremes, you know, it was definitely, it, it made me feel like, all right, at the beginning, I felt like I was unwanted. I felt like it was all kind of stacked against me. And even if it was just kind of in my own mind. It's definitely got know. to make you a better teacher now at Berkeley. I mean, when you, I, I, at least I think, I always think the best coaches and I think the best teachers are the ones that have seen sort of all sides, you know, that have been the all-star and have been the bench warmer and everything sort of in between so they can relate better. And, you know, if you can't, if you've always been that amazing all-star, what, what do you tell the person that's, you know, if you're Michael Jordan, you're Tom, like Tom Brady's had that. Michael Jordan never was that guy. Like, I mean, he had it in his head, like you said. He saw himself as not the number one guy. But, like, I think when you have that uh, disadvantage when you've been there, you can you can tell people, like, hey, I know. I was there. That was me first semester. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I, I tell you know, people all the time, you know, students all the time that it's like for me, I realized, all right, if the person next to me, you know, is, is you know, knows how to do something or it can play something, and it takes me, you know, five times the effort just to get to that same level, then so be it. Like if I have to put in that extra effort, it's like not not that I was there to compete with anyone really other than myself, but you know, my whole thing was there's there is a little bit of a, a competitive yeah. aspect uh, for for any industry, not just music, but I mean specifically, you know, show business where mm-hmm. it is highly competitive because you know everyone wants to do it, and and you know, guitar players I think are just competitive by nature anyway, but. Uh, for me, my whole thing was, you know, I might not be able to be the best player here at the time, or I might not, you know, uh, know the most, or, or you know, you know, music theory at the time. But it's like, but I will stay up later than the guy next to me or a girl next to me to yeah. outwork them. I will wake up earlier than the person next to me to work on it, and and it's just having that um, that underdog mentality, mm-hmm. and, and it's not even underdog. It's more just kind of having the the humility to never to be early. outworked. Nice, nice. So now, now you had the the Ben Cody uh, trio going, like basically the whole time you were at Berkeley as well. Now, yeah, was uh, the power trio always the sort of mindset that you wanted going into an, a a group? Like, 
do you never see a, a rhythm guitar player or some other person in the band where you're like, yeah, it's too much? Uh, no, I always wanted to be a four piece. I just could never find a singer. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I was kind of had a little bit of an advantage in the sense that I was, you know, from Massachusetts. You know, I'm from about, I grew up about an hour outside of the city. So it's like I already had, you know, some connections. I was talking earlier about, you know, playing in high school. So I already had some connections with venues and, and local musicians. You know, when I first moved back from California, I came back uh, late December at the end of that semester, and I didn't start at Berkeley again to the following fall. So I had, mm. you know, almost, good, you know, yeah, six eight, months, eight, seven, eight or nine months. Yeah, it's where I, I I had a band that I formed right when I got back, and we were a four piece, um, and we were just that was the first time I really you know wrote and recorded an album with them, and we we just gigged incessantly, and and so that was probably the most experience I'd had up until that point of kind of being a real yeah. band. Uh, and then, you know, when it came time uh, for me to start at Berkeley, you know, that that fall, the singer of that band uh, ended up, she moved out to go to school in Chicago. She's actually in LA now. Mm. And, and uh, the drummer and I of that band, kind of all that was left of, of the remnants because the bass player left, we kind of went through a whole whirlwind of bass players mm. and trying to find singers and nothing was really working out. So finally I, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to sing myself, you know, I didn't want to, but I'm like, just, just so we can keep this going. Yeah. And actually, uh, the drummer, Sam Mogul, who's, you know, one of my best friends, uh, he was the one who said, you know, why don't we just call it the Ben Cody band? He's like, if you're singing it, singing and playing guitar, he said, just have you be the face of it. So that way, when we have a new bass player every week, which was the way it was going, he's like, we don't have to keep, you know, worrying about the name change that way. Yeah. It'll, it'll consistent. I was probably playing gigs at least once or twice a week, you know, every week um, when I was a student. Nice. So I, kind of having that, it, I, I had the unique advantage of, it's like, all right, I was in school mode and learning all these things. And then, you know, I could go apply it to the real world yeah. instantaneously. Yeah. But now, now uh, with the, the trio, I, I got to take a side here from from music for a little bit i noticed in the the get your licks video there's actually been a couple of things that you've had here you've been at the 50 50 diner i noticed in a bunch of them um yeah. now i went i took a look at the menu and uh <laughs> if, if i go to the 50 50 and i get a three egg omelet with cheddar cheese onions tomatoes peppers and then steak tips am i going to be happy is that going to be a good meal oh they have Great food there. Great nice. food. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had anything there that, that wasn't amazing. It, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, <laughs> with, with that that era, I think those, those 2018, the Get Your Licks in album, yeah. we did multiple videos. And um, I was kind of, you know, drawing from you know, a lot of my favorite music videos, you know. So so that one, obviously, uh, you know, we kind of uh, did a, a, a tip of the hat to Poisons, Nothing But a Good Time, where... You know, they, they were in a, a diner or a restaurant. So and then I realized, you no, know, I really wasn't much of an actor. So I'm just going to stick to uh, playing playing the guitar and, and, and we'll have actors and models being instead of me. <laughs> well, now, if, if I go, if I come up to Boston, aside from the 50-50 diner, if I came up to Boston and, and I call you up and I'm like, Ben, I need a place to eat. Where are you going to where are you going to tell me? Where's your go to outside of the, the diner there? Oh, uh, so, so well, that diner that that's probably about an hour and a half yeah, west, north. Of, yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're in Boston, it, it's tough. A lot of my favorite places to eat in Boston all, uh, unfortunately, didn't survive the pandemic. Oh, no. A lot of, I mean, Berk, um, Boston. I mean, 
Yeah, so I mean, everything was shut down. So unfortunately, there was just so many, uh, you know, local businesses that, that didn't make. And there, there was my favorite restaurant in the world, which was right next to my office, uh, you know, on Boylston Street in Berkeley. It was called The Poor House, which was the mm. best bar in bar. I mean, it was bar slash restaurant and, and they had amazing food. On Tuesday nights, if you uh, got a beer, you could get uh, as many burgers as you want. I think it was like a two, $2 for each burger. I mean, wow. this is, you know, Boylston Street in Boston. So that, that would have been my place to recommend for you to go. But, um, yeah, it's been unfortunate. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, since yeah. since I derailed from music, one other thing. We've been talking about it a lot. Uh, Tom Brady. is are, are the Patriots more important to you or is Tom Brady? What what means more in football to you? Uh, that that That's a hard question. I mean, it's, it's it must be like, you know, when your parents, I mean, my parents aren't divorced. Luckily, so I don't know, this, but it's like it must which be like that kind of, you yeah. know, yeah, which would be. But I don't know. For me, I mean, I was, I think I was six years old when Brady won his first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he'd been playing for so long. He was really been the only whole quarterback life. Yeah. I knew. For me, I mean, growing up, you know, in New England, and my, my dad's always been a diehard Patriots fan. So, I mean, that, that was always kind of the Patriots is always a big part of my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when, when Brady left, especially last season, when, when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I'm always going to root for Brady. I'm always going to be a Brady's fan. And, uh, I mean, luckily, because at one point this past season, I think we all thought that there was a good chance there was going to be a Patriots Buccaneers Super Bowl. Mm. That point, I, I don't know if I'd even watch it. I don't know if I'd be able to, that'd be too emotional for me. I don't know who I'd root for, but I mean, last year, I mean, cause the Patriots were not good last year. Yeah. Obviously. So it was it was much easier to root, to root for the Buccaneers and, and and the fact that I mean, obviously I don't know I'm I'm not part of the Patriots organization but it's like you hear all the rumors that, you know, it looks like Belichick and got a little Kraft kicked out yeah kinda, yeah threw him out so it, it it was I I was angry at the Patriots a little bit last year so it was a lot easier to root for Brady but but uh, how, know, still the Patriots are still my home team you know I'm still, still how, how do you and your dad feel about Mac. Are you uh, on the Mac train? Oh yeah, I, I got my Mac jersey now. But, uh, nice. but um, I, 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 I'm impressed. I think you know he's he's still a rookie. I think people are. Oh yeah. Of, people that that say that he's not good. I think you know he's he's in a first year. I, I think he's going to have a great career. I'm sure he's on now the upswing and just going to keep working at it long time listeners of the show will know we have a couple of connections to tom brady one of the biggest being that i invite him on the show that's right and his publicist was nice enough to actually email me back and say no so that was that was really nice and on top of that she said, uh, Tom wishes your show the best. And I was like, well, that means he's an endorser of the show. So <laughs> that sounds like that to me. Ex- that, that's- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The other being that when Tom came out with his like uh, clothing line, especially his sleeping recovery clothing clothing line, I got some of his pajamas. So um, I'm sleeping like a professional with the Tom Brady pajamas ever since. And so true. They're pretty nice. So yeah, it, I was going to ask, how are they? Because I've always been curious. The best is actually the, the pants. I mean, the shirt is just a, a shirt. That's all it is. But the, the pants are, it's like a, it's like a loose fitting sweatpant almost that's good yeah and then but then it's got like a semi cuff on the leg so it's not like that where you wake up and it's up on your knee and you're like what is ah gee yeah that's the worst yeah so it's it is quality 
Is it pricey? Yes, very. But it's it's I'm not gonna turn them down. They're a nice pair of pants. So Tom Tom wins again. He always does. He you it's know. Sweet. He just released the new the Brady apparel brand, yeah. and and I looked. I was gonna get a hoodie, and they were a hundred dollars. I'm thinking, oh my god, hundred dollars for a hoodie, and luckily they sold out like instantaneously. Yeah, like, you know what? That's my sign. It's like okay. I, I, I need to, uh, yeah, just let that go. Yeah, you know. <laughs> now I have to ask Mac Jones. He's from Florida, right? He is originally. Yeah. Yeah. So because I I saw some uh, some pictures of him and Damian Harris. Both yeah, in, uh, Jacksonville Jaguar. That's jerseys. right. Yeah, he he was a hometown guy. Yeah, he. You know, I mean, honestly, the whole state of Florida is a, a hotbed of football, and it's very annoying when folks like Mac Jones go to uh, Alabama instead. And you're like, not going to choose one of the schools here. You can't choose one of them. You can't choose UF, FSU, Miami. You're just like, nah. Like, come on. Give us at least one. At least stay in state. But nope. it's okay. It's okay. We we at least get some of them. But hey, I got derailed. Let's get back to let's get back to music. I wanted to bring up because you were talking about you know uh, social media and as far as just like it becoming a, a bigger part because you definitely have a good good following on uh, on Instagram. I'm always amazed, and I, I guess this sort of goes into sort of where we were talking about poison before. But I'm always amazed at the sort of level of like brashness or a holishness of the comment section sometimes. Like I, you put a simple video. You were playing Ted Nugent Stranglehold, and the the caption was "most bad of all time." Changed my mind, and I was like, I agree. That's like because. I, you know, say what you will about Ted Nugent. He is clinically insane. So true. And most of everything that comes out of his mouth now is just ridiculous. But. So true. That riff is amazing. And when you hear it, you're like, yes. Like, it's just, it's, it's visceral when you hear it. But like, you had all these comments. There's like, I, I wrote them down. You got, mm, it's okay. Not greatest ever. No, we're gonna know that not even the best Nugent riff. That um, it's perhaps the simplest riff of all time. Most not even close. Like I'm gonna be honest. First of all, none of those changed my mind. Uh, they did not change my mind on it. Second, like I mean, just like the the last one about it's it's perhaps the simplest riff of all time. Do you go back and look at them? Does it annoy you anymore? Or do you just not even look at the comments and like that? I, I don't really, I mean, sometimes I'll see them, but yeah. you know, a lot of times I, I've learned at this point, just not to engage because <laughs> then, then you have to re-engage and then it becomes a whole, there's no winning. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, there's, there's a lot of trolls <laughs> out there with the internet and, and people feel much more empowered when, when, you know, it's not face to face. Yeah. You got to have thick skin, you know, just it's true in, in show business, this day and age, you got to be able to, to, the way I look at it is, you know, if they want to comment nasty thing and those are actually some tame ones. Oh yeah. You read. Yeah. There, yeah, there yeah. was some, you know, there's some that, that I was just get personal before. I was offended on that one just because that riff is awesome. And I was like, at least you could give some evidence. Like <laughs> here's, here's a great, and like one person did, they were like, you know, they, they said a whole lot of love, Jimmy page. And I was like, yeah, that is a great riff. But like the other ones, I was just like, you're just commenting to comment. There's no, like, you're not even giving any evidence here. Come on, get in the debate. I didn't really think of anything 
I don't really think much of posting that. I just posted it, and that one actually got like over two million hits on it, and it was like yeah. it's probably one of my, my biggest videos ever posted. But the way that I look at it is, at the end of the day, if if someone wants to make a nasty comment towards me, they're just helping the algorithm. It's big enough, yeah. It's, 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 just, it's just it's helping other people see it. So. So thank you to them for that. But, and um, honestly, and, uh, sadly, yeah, that's the thing that moves it up the most is is that hyper-polarizing effect, uh, even if you're not intending that. Yeah, yeah, it was just meant to be kind of just a, a fun, funny thing I was posting because I love that riff. I think it is, you know, I, I, Ted Nugent just in general, I, I think is a, such a great guitar player. And unfortunately, he's not really quite, he gets overshadowed by other <laughs> aspects of his life now. But um, I mean, yeah, cat scratch a, fever and and and... And and stranglehold like those two combine. I mean those riffs, both of them. You're just like, and it's like I said, it's just so you're just like, yeah, like it just hear it. Like, I mean, I remember the first time I heard stranglehold, and I was just like, ah, like you could just, it's it's groovable, but it's just, I mean, everything's good about it. It is. Oh, you're ready to run through a brick wall when you hear that song. It's just yeah. It gets you, it gets I know you, you. I know you're a Patriots fan, but in the in the movie um, uh, Invincible. You know, with uh, with Mark Wahlberg, where he's playing the it's the Phillies, yeah, yep. and and the, at the end of it, when he gets his groove back in the Dallas game, and and they start playing that song, you're just like, yes, like I saw an interview with Ted Nugent, and Ted said that his favorite use of Stranglehold of all time was using it in that really movie. Oh. yeah yeah i i i was definitely a fan i mean i'm also a fan of it 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 doesn't really get you as jack but it's like a good just scene setter is in dazed and confused they use it when they have the party at the moon tower and he gets in a fight there and that's playing in the band you're like i could definitely see that in the 70s i could feel that <laughs> I, I could see that all right well yeah. let, let's talk about that let's talk about one of those streams the most recent uh harry chihuahua which uh you went back to sort of that instrumental like you were saying there's uh it, it's it's all a groove it's great groove the the drums ha definitely have a real uh alex van halen shuffle feel it's got this really good uh energy to it just gr great guitar tone what made you decide to keep the the instrumental on that one? Uh, so I, I record. I've been working on this album that I'm trying to hopefully get out for the spring. Mm -hmm. um, and this was actually last year we started it. I had this one song, the song written that it became Harry Chihuahua, mm -hmm. but uh, it was more of it was meant to be to have vocals, meant to be a, a song. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was recording it with uh, my drummer Taka Nakamura. Mm -hmm. Shout out! He recorded the drums for me because I've been producing all of. You know our music just myself now mm -hmm. and i was trying to figure out I'm like i don't know how i'll be able to sing over this or how, how i'll be able to do a vocal melody mm -hmm. like that so i ended up reworking it i went and i i scrapped all my guitars that i already recorded for and i had the drums and the bass and uh you know my my dog passed away back last june mm. uh, she, so she was she was half chihuahua half maltese so she had long hair mm. hairy chihuahua for pet owners, they they, they, know, they know how difficult it is to, to, to lose a pet. So, I, so I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm still not over it. You know, it's, it's yeah. tough. It's part of the family. So she had just recently died in, in June of last year, which was right around the time that I was trying to figure out how to rework this one song. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just going to make a music uh, in, instrumental for it. Dedicate it. And uh, yeah, and I'm like, you know, so I had the very end of the song, you can hear her barking because I had a video of her barking. 
So I took the audio from that and put it at the very end. I'm like, I'm going to call it Harry Chihuahua. And, because, and also the tone sounded kind of hairy. Because I, oh, yeah. What I wanted to do was I wanted to, hopefully I'm not getting too uh, guitar nerd for you here, but I, I wanted to really uh, kind of capture that the late 80s Van Halen sound. Mm-hmm. Like the, Eddie didn't like doing any overdubbing. He wanted to just play everything live like he was yeah. you know, when, when they're gigging. And uh, so he was always kind of trying to find different ways to make it sound big without having to do any doubling or anything. Yeah. So we use uh, harmonizers in the studio to mm. essentially, instead of using it to harmonize with himself, he'd just detune one of them slightly and then pan them. So it sounded like sound. yeah. playing at once. So I had a, a pedal that did that same effect, but I had that big stereo sound. It sounded kind of hairy. I'm like, you know, I'm going to call this one Harry Chihuahua after, after Ellie, my dog. So I like it. I, I definitely yeah, like oh. which is actually it, it connects again to the the artist we had last week Sonny Smith because uh, Sonny took this project on during uh, the pandemic where he started making dog bust or dog heads like out of clay and uh, it sort of took over his life because of dog owners like yourself that just love their dogs and he was like I had I was not expecting it. He's like, but like I just keep getting people that are like, make my dog for me, Nick. You know, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the the love is strong. That's for sure. That's uh, well, I mean, speaking of the, you were talking about inspiration as far as Van Halen. That was another thing that I wanted to to ask. Like, I feel like some people go in thinking. I want to make, you know, a, a Randy Rhodes sound, or I want to do this, or this is the song I'm feeling. Are you the type of person that does that, or is it you start playing something, you come up with a melody, and then you're like, you know what that reminds me of? Okay, I'm going to lay into that. It's kind of a balance of both. I mean, there's been songs where um, I intentionally said, all right, I kind of want to try this writing in this style, which actually are a uh, single that we released straight before Harry Chihuahua this past summer called Another Day. Mm-hmm. That was one where I conscious, had the conscious effort of saying, you know what, like, I really love a lot of the, like, the early 2000s, late 90s pop punk sounds like mm-hmm. Blink-182 and Lit and mm-hmm. uh, Good Charlotte and things like that. I'm like, I want to try to combine that with Van Halen. So um, I made the conscious effort of, all right, I'm going to try to try to write from the aspect of, all right, I, I want to try to write like Blink-182 and then I'm going to add some kind of fancy guitar stuff on top of it. Yeah. There was that, but then there's other times, like um, uh, we had uh, the music video that we released, actually it was the only music video we released last year uh, for a song uh, called Hot Mess Express yeah. that was on our latest album. Um, when I was recording that song, I was kind of writing more of like an Aerosmith kind of vibe. It, it had a, a swing feel to it and um, it was really kind of Joe Perry-esque. Yeah. Uh, for when I started recording the vocals, they kind of had like a Michael Anthony Van Halen mm. kind of vibe. So that I'm like, I kind of recognize that halfway through. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start kind of channeling that and, and it kind of made it work. Nice. So it depends on. Yeah. On song. Well, it's, it's funny. You, you were talking about another day and I sort of got, I would say like the middle, I would say of that, like, you know, you were saying, okay, sort of pop punk esque and mix it with Van Halen. And I sort of got like, I was thinking when I listened to it, it's sort of giving me like the poison fallen angel feel to it, sort of in. And when you think about like their inspirations, it is sort of those punk 
outlooks and, and then on top of it you know like the van halen and big guitar idea so you're this good. new album that i'm working on is is kind of i'm kind of going that that route for a lot of them it's like you know i feel like my the get your licks in album was very um kind of 70s style mm-hmm. kind of aerosmith stuff and then the one we released in 2020 uh was kind of more of a blues album you know had a lot of kind of more blues elements to it so this one's like you know what? i kind of want to go to another influence which is kind of more the pop punk so this new one that that we're still working on has a lot of no. lot of those elements now so, when when are you planning on it coming out uh well the original release date was fall of last year <laughs> <laughs> things were pretty busy and, and um so kind of got pushed back for that uh so i'm hoping to get it out by by the spring by may nice awesome so. awesome well, now before we go for today since Va- van halen got you into music and has been a huge inspiration. I thought if you were up for it, we would do a Van Halen quiz. If you're ready yeah, to test your Van Halen knowledge. Let's go for it. All right. Now, we've we've done a couple of quizzes in the past. Pretty respectable. So what we're going for here is at least half the questions. I'm going to give you multiple choice questions. So these oh, will all oh, be... That, that, that's, that's easy. That's easy. Yeah, you, you, you at least got, you've at least got an answer, so no worries. Uh, all right. I think, I, if I'm being honest, if I took this quiz, and I, I'm, I'm definitely thinking you know a lot more about Van Halen than I di- uh, do, I think I'd get like three out of eight if I took this without knowing the answers, obviously. But maybe two. Nah. All right, all right, here we go. So the first question, uh, what famous musician produced Van Halen's first ever demo? Gene Simmons from Kiss, but it didn't actually get released. There ever. we go. There, I was, I was, I was worried I was going to make them too easy. I was going to make them too easy. <laughs> uh, it is Jim, Jim, Gene Simmons, yes. I, my other fake multiple choice que- uh, answers were Jimmy Page, Joe Walsh, Lou Reed, but... I forgot. I didn't wait for the, the multiple choice. <laughs> hey, if you know it, jump in. Jump in. All right. Now this is uh, this is the uh, album your favorite, or at least the start there. Fifty one fifty album is named after a police code. What's the police code for? An escaped mental patient. Nonviolent mental patient is what. There it is. There it is. Yes, without the without the multiple choice. Very true. I, I also had homicide, breaking and entering, and disturbing the peace, but nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, okay, Eddie Van. This one, this one is going to be tougher. This is definitely taking it up a notch. Eddie Van Halen invented several parts and accessories for the guitar. How many patents does he actually own? One. There we go. There we go. Yes. Yes. And and it's four. And it's four. He had this little contraption that would go underneath the body of the guitar, so you could play it like a piano. And he only used it on the 1984 tour and then never used it again. Now, from what I can tell, there's five parts of it that he has on there, like five listed things along with that. Um, okay, now this one sort of goes away from uh, Van Halen, but it's about Van Halen. What famous artist, uh, musician, was actually buried with the famous Bumblebee guitar from Van Halen 2? Dimebag Daryl Pantera. There we go. There we go. Man. I'm going for eight out of eight. I was about to say, I don't know if I'm going to have to go. I, I don't know if I'm going to have to. Yeah, one of these might yeah, might trip you up. Now, th- uh, this one, too. This one this one just irritated me, so I had to put it down here. Not uh, 
So Rolling Stone listed Van Halen as the eighth best guitarist out, uh, of all time out of 100. Wait, what? Which, side note to the listeners, I, like many Rolling Stone lists, just really irritated me. They had they had Dimebag Daryl at 92 on that list, and I was just like, Girl, come on. and they had Slash at 65 on that list. Huh? They probably had Kurt Cobain uh, in the top 10, I'm guessing. Well, uh, I don't think they had, they, they had the one that I was looking when I was going down, they had John Lennon at 55. Wait, what? And... John Lennon is an amazing songwriter, an amazing musician. He is not an amazing guitar player. Like, I don't yeah. care what you say. Like, it was just... Uh. Anyways, eighth best guitarist on the list. Which of the following guitars, guitarist uh, wasn't listed in front of him? So, out of the ones that were in front of him, the top seven, which one of these wasn't in that group? Uh, a, Eric Clapton... B, Jimmy Page, C, Keith Richards, D, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Which one of those was not listed in front of him? I'm trying to think like Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah. See, that was, I was, I was yeah, like, so this, this might is throw tough. him this off. Is a matter, this is a matter of who would I put. I'm going to, I'm going to think they put Stevie Ray Vaughan after him. Boom! Nailed it! Nicely done. Put himself in the Rolling Stone mindset. Yeah, I thought I could trip you up by putting Keith Richards on there because, but that's the thing. It's like it's like uh, you know, I figured Rolling Stone. They, is Rolling Stone, so. you know, I mean, <laughs> Keith Keith has amazing licks, but again, I don't know. I like. I feel like I'm. I, I don't know how I always I always get upset about their list because I'm like, how do you define this? Like, how are exactly. you defining? It's it's an art. It's, it's not. It's not a sport. It's like there's no points. It's not like there's a definitive winner or loser. It's all subjective. It's all, you know. And well, the 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 worst one, the one that really got me on their list was they had a you know greatest singers of all time, and that list was absolutely abysmal. Like I was like, no, nope, no, no, no. Nope. These the you you were completely wrong on these lists, and they did not have Sam Cooke at number one, which infuriated me. But anyways. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Uh, which artist had a logo that almost looked identical to the popular Van Halen uh, logo? Do you know that one before? Oof. This is, you might have got me on this one. I'll have to, I'll have to have the, listen for the okay. choice. A, Deep Purple. B, Jimi Hendrix. C, Judas Priest. Or D, ACDC. It was on a it was on a poster much before Van Halen came out with their logo. So so which Van Halen logo are we talking about? We're, We're talking, talking about, about like, the the uh, classic sort of V and H wings? wings. Yes. Okay. In that case, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, it's, the, the options were Judas Priest, ACDC, Deep Purple, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Oof. All right. This I'm gonna have to make an educated guess. Mm-hmm between Deep Purple or Judas Priest. I'm going to have to go with Judas Priest. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, really? Oh, man. I, that goes my perfect score. I, I mean, honestly, like I said, uh, I threw some curveballs in there. And, like, I, I have to, I'm going to have to validate. I, I was looking this up. And, I mean, they had a picture of it on the poster. Like, I mean, I guess it, it is from a, a poster in the 60s. But it's 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 the J, 
you know, the J sort of comes in with a line with where the V would be. It just doesn't go up as high. And then the H is sort of in the line, you know, of the, um, uh, our, yeah, the, the same as the H in Van Halen. But I was like, like really? I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it's sort of cool, but at the same time, you're like, it doesn't really match his music or like, but apparently Jimi Hendrix. There you go. There you go. I have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Now this one too, this is, this is a random one. These last two are random ones here about sort of, uh, uh I guess gig habits. When Van Halen was touring in 78, uh, Eddie got into an argument with David Lee Roth and apparently threw a bowl of guacamole at his head, but missed and hit the lead singer of the band they were touring with. Which band was that? Was it ACDC, Fog Hat, Journey, or Foreigner? Uh, out of those... Because I know that they toured, they opened for Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But in 78, I'd have to say Journey. Because I know they did some shows of Journey as well. That's it. That's it. Right. Do, going back on the actual, that's that's using your head right there. That's impressive. Going back on who they actually toured with. That's that's yeah. knowledge right there. Apparently, there was a show that they they opened for Journey where Eddie had to use Neil Sean's rig because mm. his amps didn't make it in time. Wow. Yeah, apparently... <laughs> It hit Steve Perry in the head, and he was he was uh, pretty upset about it. He was crying. I've never heard that story. Yeah. That's hilarious. And apparently, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Steve!" But Steve, what a singer, man! God, he was a good singer. Which singer? Speaking of singers, did Ed, Eddie personally ask to replace David Lee Roth when he left the band? A. Ronnie Dio. B. Daryl Hall. C. Paul Rogers or D Vince Neil? Daryl Hall. Correct. Nicely done. I thought I could throw Daryl Hall. Who would have thought? Who would have? Yeah, I mean, and, uh, Patty Smith. Yeah. Um, Scandal was another one that he really wanted, but I guess uh, her and her husband, she, she just got pregnant at the time. They're starting a family, so that was the only reason that. Crazy. Can you imagine the second re- instead of Van Hagar, you've got you've got Van Hall. Like, oh. <laughs> that's, I don't know if they could make it work. I mean, that would yeah. be, that would be an interesting amalgamation right there. Man. Well, there you have it, folks. Now, along with being the Tom Brady of Berkeley, he is also the Doc G Show Van Halen Quiz Champion. Seven for eight. Seven for eight, everybody. Ben Cody. Ben, thanks for being on our show today, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a blast. I really for sure. It. For sure. So Listeners, you can check out all of his music on streaming services. You can follow the band on Instagram at the Ben Cody Band. You can follow him at the Ben Cody. Let's take a listen right now to the dedication, Harry Chihuahua, right here on the Doc G Show. <laughs>
And we are back here on the Doc G show. You just heard Ben Cody, and you just heard me talking to Ben Cody. Fantastic. That guy, just an amazing guitarist, just a fantastic guy all around. Uh, his smile can light up a room. Mike, it can. Yes! You know? He's just yeah. a smiley dude and just a happy dude, and I like it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I can... I can openly say that if I was in Boston, I think the weather may may make me even less of a smiley dude than I am now. But for sure, I'm, I'm glad it hasn't came down on him. Doesn't seem to affect Ben at all. He's he's completely no, fine with it. And he's it's crazy. It. It's crazy how much time he put into the guitar, man. It still blows my mind. Like. I don't know. I I don't know. Like sometimes I think about it for myself. I'm like, am I just like not a dedicated person, or what is it? Nope. What is it like? Do I like <laughs> a lot of different things? Do I like too many things that I can't concentrate on one? But it always just know. amazes me when it's a person like him that can like you know ten thousand hours on one thing and just like a couple of years, and you're like, holy Jesus. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Like I mean, incredible. he was practicing up to like seven hours a day. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's I crazy. guess you could play guitar alone a lot. I mean, oh, yeah. You, know, you can do that. You don't need you anybody really else, it. that's for sure, yeah. you know? But here's the thing every time I play guitar, uh, the first thing I think is, yeah, you suck. That's a fact. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's not encouraging to keep playing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't have that like, oh my God, I'm going to get better and show myself. It's more like, no, I'm not that good at this. I'm going to put it down. Well, here's Wonderwall again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can't I know play Wonderwall. Oh, so Wonderwall. <laughs> you don't even know. Me and you, Mike, should we just one day pull out the guitars and jam on Wonderwall? Just yeah, as long as you're cool with like me knowing the first thirty seconds or whatever of the song. Oh, yeah, dude, it's like it. the whole song. That's I mean, every course is the same true. thing. It's you got the capo on on fret two, and you go through those four <laughs> chords. That's it. Um, uh, anyways, so thanks for right, Ben Cody go. for being up. Oh, <laughs> Are you getting ready say, to play Wonderwall? Is no, that <laughs> live show pops po boys Wonderwall. Yes. 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 We close yes. it out with Wonderwall. That's true. Open it up and close it out. We enter the yeah. show just playing it. Neither of us will sing. We'll just go play <laughs> play the chords for like forty five seconds and just and we don't even. Uh, this show will only be for the real listeners. So we won't we won't even explain why we're doing it. They'll just nope. know. They'll just be like totally. Look at it. That's pretty dumb, and we appreciate it. And then we'll end the show and do the same thing, and we'll have fat, delicious subs at the end. It will yes. be awesome. Awesome. I like it, Mike. I'm writing it down. Follow up. <laughs> yes! I'm calling up Pops Po Boys and telling them we need a live show. Um, doing a live show. And they'll be like, no, you'll actually lose <laughs> money for us if you do a live show at our place. So True. People will walk out of the. They'll be oh. Not these people. These guys. Oh, God. This is the worst. It's, it's exactly like I used to talk about when I would go in. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Wild Wing Cafe, Mike? Wild Wing Cafe? I don't think so, no. It's fairly... There's a lot of, of Wild Wing Cafes up and down the eastern coast. Um, but uh, I they, they have live music there. And a lot of hmm. nights, we, me and my bros, we would go out for a wing night, you know? So true. And when I walked in there and there was a live band, I was like, 
Not doing wing night tonight, guys. But we're leaving. We're li- I'm not. I'm not <laughs> dealing with this. Cause like I like live music. I don't want it with my food. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like I want to eat and don't bother me with your guitar nonsense. All right. I'm trying to mm-hmm. focus on these delicious wings. Don't ruin it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's what we would have at Pops Po Boys. There'd be just a bunch of people like, hey, we're trying to enjoy our delicious subs, you <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> like, okay, sorry. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Mike, we've got two uh, birthday suits here. Two birthday suits. Uh, which okay. one do you want? Do you want the uh, musician or the uh, entertainer on TV and movies? Entertainer on TV and movies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one, I have a feeling, had to be in your childhood somehow. Had okay. to be. Born on the Febu- uh, February... Born on the... On the February 16th. <laughs> you all know that one. Yes! Uh, 1957 in West Germany. Our birthday suit where his father was in the army... He moved back to the States and was raised in Sacramento, California with his two sisters. By the time he was entering college, he had decided he wanted to be an actor, decided to go to USC. While at USC, he landed a, a huge role on the miniseries Roots. He played Kunta Quinte. He was nominated for an Emmy in the role. In 1983, he decided to become the executive producer and host of a new show that ended up impacting hundreds of millions of kids around the world. Reading Rainbow. Mm. The series ran for 23 seasons. The show took children on a journey through a book as our birthday suit narrated the book. Take a look. It's in a book on Reading Rainbow. Along with Reading Rainbow, he continued his acting primarily on Star Trek as Lieutenant Junior Grade uh, Jordy LaForge. Name that birthday suit wearer. Uh, this is so bad. I know exactly who you're talking about, but the name for some reason is escaping me right it'll, now. It'll He's jog all over the news. He's it'll the jog news your, your name. LeVar Burton. Ah, LeVar Burton. That's his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. LeVar Burton, man. Oh, yeah. gosh. Elementary school with, with Reading Rainbow. Oh. Anytime, you're, anytime your teacher wanted to be lazy, throw on Reading Rainbow. That's what you're Guys, I don't yeah. feel like looking at you for 30 minutes. Here we go. Reading Rainbow. There it is. <laughs> you wheel the TV in on a stupid little cart. You put in the, the VHS of Reading Rainbow, and your teacher goes and drinks a bottle of wine. No dry <laughs> dating for her. Anyways, uh, I, lo- I loved Reading Rainbow, man. Yeah, I it was loved a great it. show. It's always such a fun story, man. And and I will be honest, it inspired you to read. But then I would go like get a book and I'd be like, ah, Nope. This isn't as fun <laughs> as when he reads it. This isn't there's not like cool animated pictures of all the animations and him with his awesome, awesome soothing voice that makes everything seem like it will be fine in the world. Like it just uh yeah. anyways. Happy birthday to LeVar Burton. He's turning 60, uh, 65. Wow. Um, yeah, 65. Yeah. Wow. Doc G, isn't he, he, okay, so he didn't get the Jeopardy uh, spot. Didn't get the didn't gig on he, Jeopardy. 
He didn't get the gig on Jeopardy, but what didn't he get something else or isn't he in the runnings for some other like kind of a big deal program? I don't know. Or, maybe. Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do a deep dive. I'll look it up for the he's next show. Got a, <laughs> I, I'll, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll definitely look it up. I do know, yeah, he did get, which I honestly think, like, come on. Why wouldn't you have him on, on Jeopardy? Like, Yeah, well, seems like Ken seems Jennings, like, I think. He was up against Ken Jennings and some other people who were, like, Jeopardy-like yeah, celebrities. Yeah, I don't give a though. Like, I'd much rather see LeVar Burton there. Come on. True. See that guy? He comes on, I'd be like, man, everything's right in the world. Look at that guy. With <laughs> but his, I'm not watching this show. <laughs> yeah, with his with his lovely with his lovely gray hair and his one single hoop earring and just like, you know, I'm just like, yeah, that's nice. That makes me happy. You know? But I mean Ken Jennings, I'm not watching that. That guy, I'm gonna be like I'm like, look at this look at this guy. He thinks he knows everything just because he won the show four hundred and seventy five episodes in a row. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Anyway anyways, last birthday suit Mike here. So uh uh as I was I was concerned, we're one for two now. Let's let's hope we can get out we can get let's out see. with a two out of three. Here we go. Born in Newark, New Jersey on February sixteenth, nineteen fifty-eight. One year after LeVar Burton. There you go. Mm. Our birthday suit wearer's parents died of heart attacks before he was thirteen. Both parents. Both parents before he's thirteen. That's gotta be a rough childhood, man. I don't care who, mm. who you are. That's rough, man. Both parents when you're thir before you're thirteen, it's tough. Yeah, that's tough. He moved to Los Angeles uh, to live with his aunt. In high school, he became affiliated with the Crip Gang. Just affiliation. He was never actually a full member. Affiliation. Started reading the novels of Iceberg Slim, a famous pimp. Our birthday suit wearer enlisted in the Army in 1977. During his time in the Army, our birthday suit wearer uh, found the song Rapper's Delight. Became inspired to write his own raps. Our birthday suit wearer was discharged from the Army in 1979. He decided to, to full attention to music. In 1982, he released his first single, Cold Wind Madness. He released several other singles in the next four years, but it wasn't until 1986 that he released his famous song, Six in the Morning, a song that talked about Los Angeles gang culture. Because of this single, he was able to get a major record label deal. In 1987, he released his debut album, Rhyme Pays. Yes! His next album was Power. It was released in 1988. Then in 1989, he released Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say. In 1991, he had his landmark album, OG Original Gangster. At the same time, he debuted his metal band, Body Count and toured on the first Lollapalooza tour in 1991. Also in 1991, he started acting and was featured in the film New Jack City as the gang leader Odessa. He then gained national attention in 1993 for the creation of his song Cop Killer, which was on his album Home Invasion. Hmm. That album also featured 99 Problems, which inspired Jay-Z to record a new version with new lyrics in 2003. In 2000, he had uh, his most, uh, his most likely, his most well-known acting role as Finn 
a former undercover narcotics officer on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Hmm. In total, since his first album in 1987, he released 15 albums, either as an independent artist or with his band Body Count. He's won two Grammys and is considered one of the originators of gangster rap and now does laundry detergent commercials. Name mm. that birthday suit wearer. Is it iced tea? Iced tea is correct. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Nicely done. Two out of three. Not bad yeah. for Mike. Not no, bad. Not Good yeah. job. Iced tea, man. You know, I've never, like, I haven't been a, a huge iced tea fan, you know? Uh, yeah, me neither. I wasn't like super into iced tea, but I I got I got I have uh, I have rhyme pays. I'm not close again. I'm not close enough to my actual vinyls right now. I I could lean over and grab it, but I do have ice uh, iced tea's uh, rhyme pays on vinyl because that's the hmm. album with uh, six in the morning and six in the morning is it's a jam. That is okay. Awesome background tune and it is really like the first. Sort of considered like first mainstream uh, gangster rap song. Pretty pretty awesome jam. Uh, it's just uh, it's it's a it's a good good jam good jam. Uh, he's sort of I I'm not a huge fan of his his metal stuff. I mean you know I'm glad that he does it, but uh, yeah does doesn't reel me in as much as his rap. Uh, yeah. I, I'm much more fan of his his rap, but regardless, you know he's he's done it, man. He's done it, and uh, he he uh, so much success despite not having uh, parents after the age of thirteen. Stuff, man. I feel like that's Stuff. an ingredient for success for not everybody, but well, uh, maybe, it's maybe definitely most people not. Maybe most it, people it's not. definitely an ingredient to uh, uh, what he rapped about. And being sort mm -hmm. of uh, affiliated with the darker side of life, yes! um, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's much easier to embrace uh, gang culture when you haven't had uh, a family for the last yeah. uh, 10 years of your life. You for know, sure. That's uh, so I can see that uh, it uh, I would say, Mike, hyper polarizing. That's what I would say. It can no, make true. you very successful. It also could lead down some extremely horrible paths as well. For sure. So, for sure. You know. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, Ice T made it. Seems to have a very stable, very nice life. Uh, Grammy winner, uh, very renowned uh, um, actor, and also uh, now he does commercials. Like I said, with Stone Cold Steve Austin and uh, Maddie Ice, the uh, quarterback there. So they do they do cold calls together and there you go hmm. so, yeah to, to save energy on detergent mike they're all the time on uh if you ever listen to any espn radio they play them all the time every now oh, and then okay. when i'm being a man and i'm like i'm so into sports you don't even know <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll hear a couple of commercials on there Anyways, happy birthday to Ice-T, turning 64. 64 for Ice-T. Wow, he looks nice. good for 64, too. Looks nice. Yeah, he looks, looks great. Good. Wait, 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 to, wait to keep it tight, Ice-T. You're looking, you're looking well put together. Very mm -hmm. nice face. Not a lot of wrinkles. Nicely done. 
Nicely done. Anyways, Mike, we've got some fantastic shows coming up. I'm very excited. Next week, we have the fantastic band Stone Broken on the show. They've been just making some fantastic rock tunes. Been making some, and they're all the way hailing from the UK. So I get to do another international Zoom. I'm very cool. excited about it. Yeah. Anyways, we're going to have Stone Broken on the show. Very exciting about that. Um, but anyways, uh, Mike, we got to wrap up the show for now. It has been a fantastic show. Thanks again mm -hmm. to Ben Cody for being on the show. And of course, with me as always, the one, the only, Mike. What? I didn't do Mikey. Mikey Maximus, <laughs> the Furnicus, Charette. Yes. Great show, Doc G. Thank you, as always, for having me. Great time. For sure. For sure. And until next guy, uh, next time, guys, zip it up and zip it out. Zippity-doo-dah.